Well, good uh, morning, everyone. <laughs> wow, what a day, right? She's back with a vengeance. Good morning. Are you rested? I'm rested. What what a world that happened. Yeah. That's what happens when you take off. Yeah, did you look at the newspapers? World changes. <laughs> look at all. You're back just in time. Yeah. Uh, historic day in America. Donald Trump indicted. Donald Trump indicted. The first former or sitting president ever to face criminal charges is Friday, it's March 31st. Here are the very latest developments. A Manhattan grand jury indicting Trump on more than 30 counts related to business fraud stems from the hush money case involving Stormy Daniels before the 2016 election. All sources tell CNN Trump is expected to turn himself in on Tuesday and be arraigned in New York City. The NYPD is on high alert this morning. Every member of the force has been told to report in uniform today as a precaution. Meanwhile, in Washington, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and other House Republicans are rallying around Trump, blasting the indictment as a political attack. And as of this morning, President Biden has not weighed in on the indictment. Not a surprise there. We'll see what he says. We have all the latest reporting. CNN This Morning's special live coverage starts right now. Very early on uh, this Friday morning, and look at the papers. You got. I was worried this morning when I left that the papers would not be ready, but they are. It's yesterday. You and I were talking about how the headlines of there was so much news yesterday that the headlines that we had by the morning they didn't really reflect what we were even talking yeah. about on the show. Yeah. And now, of course, it's like the biggest headline across them all. Yeah, we were. We were talking. We usually sort of read when not one of us is doing a, a, an interview. We, or whatever. we, we read the papers. And we read. Yeah. Um, that's the New York Times. Yeah. Trump indicted. The Washington Post. Trump, uh, New York Grand Jury indicts Trump. Wall Street Journal, Trump indicted over hush money. And of course, well, you have this The Post. The Post, The Gathering Stormy. Interesting. All of this happening over Stormy Daniels and an affair that Donald Trump denies or a fling that he denies that happened years ago and it has come back to haunt him. Trump is now the first ex-president in U.S. history to face criminal charges. And keep in mind, though, he is running for president right now. So this is really unprecedented. It's uncharted territory for our nation. Senior legal affairs correspondent Paula Reed, who has gotten very little sleep over the past couple of months, especially the past couple of weeks. She has been following this from the very beginning. Good morning to you. What are we learning about what happens downtown? Well, I think a lot of people will be surprised to learn that even the former president's legal team has not been informed of the specific charges that he's facing. That is standard uh, in this court. There is a desire, I'm told, to treat him like they would any other defendant. But of course, this is going to be unlike anything we have seen in U.S. history. A Manhattan grand jury voting to indict former President Donald Trump Thursday. While the case is still under seal, sources tell CNN he faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud. The former president responding to the indictment, calling the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg a disgrace and claiming the entire investigation is a witch hunt. He's ready to fight. You know, he's the toughest guy I know. Yeah. And he's, um, he was shocked, you know, because we really were, I was shocked. Today, the rule of law in the United States of America died. 
The indictment concludes a years-long probe investigating a hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels to remain silent about an alleged affair with Trump, an affair Trump denies. The case relies in part on the testimony of Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, who has in the past pleaded guilty to nine federal crimes, including lying. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents. Uh, there's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. Cohen paid Daniels $130,000 just weeks before the 2016 presidential election. According to court filings, the Trump Organization reimbursed Cohen $420,000. It's a fight against his rejection of truth and his manufacturing of, of stories that really uh, motivated her. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office was also asking questions during the grand jury proceedings about Karen McDougal. She was paid $150,000 by the company that publishes the National Enquirer to stay silent about another alleged affair with Trump. Trump has denied any affair with McDougal. Trump's longtime friend and then chairman of the National Enquirer's parent company, David Pecker, is believed to have orchestrated the payment and was one of the last witnesses to testify before the grand jury Monday. But even Trump's potential Republican presidential rivals criticizing the indictment. Governor Ron DeSantis tweeting, it's un-American. And Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, telling CNN. I think the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States on a campaign finance issue is an outrage. Well, the district attorney and Trump's legal team are now in the process of negotiating his self-surrender. I'm told by one of his attorneys that he will likely appear on Tuesday and go through the normal process. And that includes everything from being photographed, fingerprinted, and appearing before a judge. But even if this is the normal process, there is no playbook for something like this. Yeah, very not normal. Yeah. And this will be, the arraignment will be expedited uh, because of the circumstances here. Uh, according to my source, it, he probably won't see any time behind bars for this, meaning in a, in a if whole... If convicted, yeah. No, 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 before this. Um, that he won't spend like he any won't time in detained. a holdup. He yeah. won't, yeah. Right, he would be released on his own. Yeah. And I'm also, but I'm also hearing the fingerprint part is not for sure. The mugshot part is for sure, but the fingerprint part is not for sure, and the handcuffs... Why would that? That's interesting. I don't. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't heard that. But we have heard consistently they're going to try to the greatest extent possible to treat him like any other oh. defendant. And so this is the usual process. But there are considerations for things like the Secret Service protection. Certainly, they're not going to you know, put him in Rikers or anything like that. So we'll see how this plays out. But right now, they're working through this process. But your point about Secret Service, it is their job to always protect a former president. So they will be ostensibly yeah. by his side on Tuesday, assuming he appears in court here in New York, which is also going to be a remarkable Sight. Absolutely. And I asked one of his attorneys before these charges uh, were filed, well, can the Secret Service deter him from wanting to appear in person? And they said, look, they can't dictate what he does. They can only protect him. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, is he going to go through the front door? Is he going to go through? Right. Know? Because that courthouse yeah. is a circus. Right. right. It's the love child of like a DMV and a circus in this multi-story building on a normal day. You add the former leader of the free world, a security and logistical nightmare. Yeah. yeah.
and we'll be watching every New York City police officer in uniform, order, in uniform, order to report to duty. So this is unprecedented. Thank you, Paula. We'll be watching. Okay, so take a look at Florida. This is Mar-a-Lago, Trump's Florida home and private club. Sources tell us here at CNN the former president is expected to turn himself in next week on Tuesday. That's what we were just talking about. Kristen Holmes is live in Washington with the details. This is your beat, and we were all listening glued to the television last night as you were breaking the news, reading the first statement, reacting to this indictment from the former president. What can you tell us about where he is right now? Yeah, Poppy, so that statement was, you know, the usual from what we hear from former President Trump. He talked about hoaxes, witch hunts. He linked this case to the investigation. But I am told by a number of sources who have talked to Trump in the last 24 hours that he is relatively controlled. He is at his Mar-a-Lago home, that he was huddled with top advisors off and on throughout the evening. He ate dinner with Melania in front of guests at Mar-a-Lago. And again, this was a controlled person. He seemed calm. Now, one of the things that we know is for the last month, they have essentially seen the former president go through a range of emotions. At times, he has been angry. At times, he has celebrated that this potential indictment could lead to political success. But last night, I am told that he was very controlled. He seemed to understand the gravity of this moment. And as we reported last night, several of these advisors, including the and the former president himself, were really blindsided by the timing of this indictment. Yes, for two weeks, they had been planning for a potential indictment. They were literally sitting on edge every day, trying to figure out, trying to read tea leaves of when this might come. But they read the same media reports that we all did, that said essentially the grand jury was likely not to hear any more on the Trump case before they went on hiatus. So many of them thought they had some time. So now after that initial surprise, now they have moved on to that sort of shaping the narrative part of all this, Poppy. Right. And that comes along with his allies, both in the halls of Congress and outside. And as I understand, your reporting is that Trump's team is going to roll out these surrogates and keep a very close eye on who is being loyal to him to a fault throughout all this. That's right. And we actually started seeing them roll out those surrogates last night. We saw some of the staunchest Trump allies all over conservative media. We're talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates. We saw Tucker Carlson have a slew of guests on all defending the former president. And we expect to continue to see that today across not just conservative media in terms of TV, but also podcasts. And as you said, they are keeping a very close eye on who is defending the former president and making sure to blast out those responses. Bobby. Okay, Kristen Holmes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, there's so much to discuss. If we can just back out a little bit, because I think this is unprecedented. I think it's all of us have uh, contacts, and we have been uh, following this, especially Caitlin and Paula and um, Poppy. You have been watching this and covering it. None of us thought that we would be at this moment, right, where, where we have a former president who has been indicted. So I think it changes our world so much. We've seen witness after witness come out, people who said they knew about this case. And, um, and we've, it's just been so many facets and so unprecedented. And one of those people is Michael Cohen, who we have all interviewed and we all know he is the star witness uh, in this case. And we got a chance to speak with him. He knows the former president, having worked with his attorney, the so-called fixer for years for telling all to the prosecutors downtown in Manhattan. So I spoke with Michael Cohen last night, along with my colleague Allison Camerata from CNN Tonight, right after the indictment came down. Here is some of what he said. Take a look. 
I want to talk about um, Robert Costello, because Donald Trump's team sent Robert Costello in directly to try to counteract what you were saying. What does this say about the importance or the significance of what they saw in his testimony? Yeah, it was a mistake. You know, Bob Costello provided clearly nothing. There was no um, testimony that he gave that I was even needed to rebut. That's all been reported. You know, they had me there waiting for about two hours to be a rebuttal witness, but I wasn't needed, which means that the information that he provided was worthless. You know who else is talking about this? Donald Trump. And he basically said in this email to his supporters, uh, Alvin Bragg is relying on the testimony of a convicted felon and a disbarred lawyer. So what is your response to Donald Trump tonight? Well, he's right. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents, uh, there's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. And at the end of the day, we have an indictment today. Yeah. So clearly, that means that the information provided was more than enough for the grand jury to come back with a determination for an indictment. Oh, by the way, for Donald, since we're talking about convicted felons, see you on Tuesday, pal. Hmm. They can coordinate court dates, but they don't coordinate indictments. Right. And they have to go when they have to go where the evidence leads. And there are things like the statute of limitations or what have you. But technically, Fannie Willis in Georgia, if she does indict, could go first. They could coordinate and allow her to go to trial first. And this could go second. This notion of, oh, this is a weaker case than the January 6th. I acknowledge that. January 6th was an insurrection like we haven't seen in, what, 150 years in this country. But... Does it make this any less of a crime? You know, I always call this the Capone theory, the Al Capone theory. They couldn't get him on murder, extortion, racketeering, bootlegging, etc. They got him on tax evasion. If that crime, Don, was enough for me to be charged, fined, convicted, and sent to prison, why am I any different than Donald Trump? I don't think he's going to be handcuffed. According to sources, they said it, he's going to have an expedited arraignment, right, because of the unusual circumstances. Personally? I don't want to see him paraded that way. Remember, because he's a former president of the United States, because I actually care more about the office of the presidency of the United States than he does. I don't want to see this made into the laughingstock of the world. This is a first time ever in the history of this country that a president, former president, has been indicted. This is unprecedented. And the more that we keep this, we'll call it classy, the better it is for our position in the world. Behind the scenes, how is he handling something like this tonight? He's not thick-skinned. Right? I think we've also saw that during the, um, uh, what was it, the correspondence dinner. He is not thick-skinned. He's actually very thin-skinned, and he has a very fragile ego. This is his biggest fear, that he will be mugshotted, and that you know, he's going to now have an F, a felony, next to his name. These are not things that Donald Trump ever thought in his entire life, nor I, for that matter, that he would ever be confronted with. He's seething right now because of all of the mistakes that so many people that were around him have made. Do you feel vindicated? This isn't about vindication. This is about accountability. This is about the adage that no one is above the law. This is also about that whatever laws that sent me to prison should send him to prison. We're all supposed to be looked at in the eyes of the law the same, right? Lady Justice wears the blindfold. It's not supposed to matter, you know, about your race, religion, creed, color, whether you're a former president or not. If you break the law, you have to be held accountable.
Hmm. I mean, what an interview and what a conversation. To- I did say to him last night, he said, this is not about that. I said, your book is called... Revenge. Yeah, but, you can't ignore that title. Yeah. Uh, joining us here at the table to talk about all of what we just saw there with Michael Cohen is former Manhattan Assistant District Attorney Jeremy Saland. And back with us, our senior legal affairs correspondent, Paula Reed. Uh, Jeremy, I wanted to start with you on a broad outlook of this, but you have a lot of thoughts I have on so that many interview. thoughts. The first one is what is he doing? Now that there have been charges filed under seal, he is one of the key witnesses in this case. We know from our sources that prosecutors are already unhappy about some of the interviews that Michael Cohen has given, particularly when he has tried to rebut arguments in the court of public opinion. Now, he also said there that after attorney Robert Costello went in and attacked his credibility, that they didn't need to rebut that. That's not true. We know from our reporting that prosecutors were a little bit thrown by Costello's testimony and they believed they had to button up that case. We saw David Packer go before the grand jury earlier this week and apparently there was another witness who we don't know. Now, I will note, when I reached out to Robert Costello last night for comments, I mean, you know, he's a chatty. He's a chatty one. (laughs) Loves to talk, loves to comment. He said, I cannot comment on this case right now because I am a potential witness. And that is a big difference right now between Michael Cohen and Robert Costello. Look, Michael Cohen has a First Amendment right. He's absolutely a key player in this, but he could also be a key witness in a prosecution of the former president doing this. Great get, by the way, great interview. Thank you. But for him, I have a feeling he's gonna get a call from prosecutors today. This is what his attorney says, Lanny Davis says that, you may think of him as a key witness, but there are three or four people who will back up what he says. So therefore, as you said, it's his First Amendment right to be able to talk about this. So he doesn't see it as a big deal or detrimental to the case that Michael Cohen is out doing interviews. That is naive. Preposterous. It's it's ridiculous. (laughs) I I can imagine, as you just said, the district attorney's office must be livid. You don't start singing and showing your anger and being glib to help build your credibility and keep a consistent story. Because the more you talk and the more you say, the more there's chances that you're going to say something that's going to come back and bite that case. And that's not what they want. Walk through for people joining us just this morning. They've just read the headlines of the papers. What we're looking at here, because we have to remind people this is uncharted legal territory. This is an untested legal case to tie potential the federal charges to a state crime. And you also have the possibility of a judge either downgrading it, saying, nope, misdemeanor, or throwing it out. How, hard, how high is the bar? How hard is this to get a conviction? Well, to start off, it's that reasonable cause to believe that a felony was committed or a crime was committed for the grand jury. And that's not a very high bar. Right. But to your point, there's a much higher bar, proof beyond a reasonable doubt at trial. So the lesser crime is just that there was an intent to defraud, and that there was false entries made in the business records of that organization. That's fairly easy to say and easy to do. But to your point again, what is that other crime that would elevate this to the felony? And that is uncharted territory. And I would imagine a lot of this delay, and I use that in quotes because it's not really a delay, it's doing your homework and doing your job. A lot of that is figuring out, can this case go forward on the theory that we're charging or we're looking at a federal statute to be the basis of that that crime? We don't know what's in it, It's, it's, it's sealed. So we don't know what the charges are specifically. Of course, there certainly could be other crimes, but you're not going into that grand jury assuming or looking for a misdemeanor. Because we weren't even looking at at Karen McDougal. 
Remember that last week I said, Poppy, I said, you know, this is possibly beyond Stormy Daniels. We don't know exactly what Alvin Bragg is going to do. We don't even know what's in there specifically. There is reporting, I know, and from very credible sources. Um, John Miller, who is, you know, just the best that you can get when it comes to these situations, especially with the reporting. But still, we don't know exactly what's in that. And what my sources say, I would warn you to stop saying that this is a weak case because Alvin Bragg would not, not saying do this it's a if it was a weak case. case. Or, or it's, a, it's a difficult case, sorry. It is, to, isn't it? To, to prove because you don't know what's in these charges. Well, well, to your point, I don't know if it's a difficult charge to prove, but I do know that if it was solely on the shoulders of Michael Cohen, there would be concern. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't imagine the district attorney's office would be that naive or foolish. These are experienced prosecutors who have been around the block many, many times. That They understand that, and they're looking at either evidence to corroborate or evidence and charges beyond what we're thinking. And yeah. a lot of documents, I'm told. Absolutely. Are documents to support these these charges. Yeah. yeah, we'll see what those documents look like and see what the charges ultimately look like. Jeremy and Paul, thank you both for joining us here at the crack of dawn this morning as we break down all of these really important. Not headlines. even close. I'm close to dawn yet, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't you know. Say dawn. Yeah. They said. Uh, all right. As this is all coming out, and you see this is in the headlines today, many Republican leaders are rallying behind Trump. They are coming out publicly and forcefully. We'll tell you what his allies on Capitol Hill are saying. That's next. Including right here on CNN, some of them were on last night. We also have more developments on this man, the American journalist, waking up behind bars in Russia this morning. We're going to hear from one of the few people, Trevor Reed, who knows what he is going through right now. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. This is legal voodoo. You got a misdemeanor that's been made a felony Nobody in the history of New York City has ever been prosecuted under this theory except for Donald J. Trump. There's one of them, former presidents of uh, former President Trump's allies, I should say, on Capitol Hill, like Senator Lindsey Graham. You just saw there criticizing this historic and, yes, unprecedented indictment by a Manhattan grand jury. A source says Trump has been reaching out to Republican leaders, key committee members to shore up support and tell them he plans to fight the charges. Our Lauren Fox is live on Capitol Hill with more. So Lindsey Graham says it's a voodoo, voodoo case. And there's a whole lot more like that that followed, right? Exactly, Poppy. I mean, it was really within minutes of this indictment that you started to see the rallying around former President Donald Trump on Capitol Hill, particularly in the House of Representatives, where he still has a stronghold over the Republican Party, including over House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who promised in a tweet last night that Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, would be held to account. He did not say exactly what direction the House of Representatives is going to go to do that, but we've gotten some early clues. We saw a letter just a couple of days ago before this indictment was even announced from Jim Jordan, as well as other powerful chairmen like James Comer of the House Oversight Committee, warning that they wanted testimony from Alvin Bragg. Expect that that is going to intensify in the days and weeks ahead. Lawmakers are on a two-week recess right now, but they're There is a dramatic split screen that's playing out because while you have Republican leadership in the House coming to Trump's defense, you have silence from some Republican leaders in the Senate, including from Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader who has a fractured relationship with Donald Trump in the wake of the insurrection two years ago up here on Capitol Hill. that's That's a really important point. Lauren Fox, thank you very much. We'll see what else comes today. 
Uh, sources do tell CNN that former President Trump faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud. More on what may be in that sealed indictment is ahead. Plus, our interview this morning with Trevor Reed. He is the Marine veteran who was freed from Russian prison last year. He's going to talk about what it must be like for the American journalist who has now been arrested. The first few hours uh, when you're wrongfully detained are extremely confusing. Uh, you're in a state of shock. All right, this morning, you can see here an American reporter for The Wall Street Journal is waking up in detention in Russia on charges of espionage. Evan Gershkovich is a 31-year-old correspondent based in Moscow. He was arrested yesterday and accused of trying to steal state secrets about a Russian military factory, accusations that we should take with a grain of salt considering where they're coming from. In a statement, the journal said it, quote, vehemently denies the allegations from the FSB and seeks the immediate release of our trusted and dedicated reporter. Russia has not arrested a reporter on charges like this since the Cold War in 1986. That's the last time that an American journalist was detained by Russia simply for doing their job on charges of espionage. Few people really know what Evan Gershkovich could be going through right now, possibly. One of them, though, is Trevor Reed. He was released last April in a prisoner swap after he was detained in Russia for 985 days. Reed is a former Marine. He had been sentenced to nine years in prison in July 2020 for apparently and allegedly endangering the life and health of Russian police officers in an altercation. Those are charges we should note that he is steadfastly denied. I spoke to Trevor Reed last night about the arrest of Evan Gershkovich. What goes through your mind when you hear that another American, this time a journalist arrested on espionage charges, has been detained in Russia? Uh, well, first of all, it immediately, you know, comes to me as, as being uh, another wrongful detention of an American in Russia. Um, obviously, those charges sound extremely fishy, uh, charging a journalist with espionage. And I think that also kind of signals the, the escalation that the Russians are taking by taking a, a journalist and wrongfully detaining them and and basically taking them hostage. You have an experience that, that so few people have because to a degree you know what he's going through. Can you just remind us, what were your first few hours in detention like? What do you imagine that he's going through right now? The first few hours uh, when you're wrongfully detained are extremely confusing. Uh, you're in a state of shock. Um, you're also in a state of denial. You're thinking that there's no possible way that this is happening to me. Uh, maybe it's just a nightmare. Maybe I'm going to wake up and this didn't happen. And unfortunately for me, that that kind of, you know, just surreal feeling lasted for, for basically the whole almost three years that I was detained. Yeah. And when he was, when Evan was formally arrested, his own attorney wasn't even allowed in the courtroom. You obviously dealt up close and personally with the Russian judicial system, as I guess we'll call it. How do you fear that he's going to be treated by them? Uh, there's, there's no, there's no question that uh, the Russian judicial system is a joke. It's a facade. Uh, they violate all of their own rules, regulations, laws there, and 
there's no type of accountability for Russian officials who who break those laws. They can basically do anything that they want, um, and unfortunately, they will do whatever they want. Some members of Congress have said they think he, they basically just outright called this a hostage situation. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's uh, the wrongful detention is equivalent to to taking a hostage. They've clearly done this for political purposes to gain some kind of leverage over the United States or make a, make an example out of them to make a point. Maybe it's like a revenge thing. After you were released, you gave an interview with my colleague Jake Tapper, and you talked about essentially the way you were treated, that it, it, the Russian government isn't just operating from the top down. You said, speaking of them, quote, they have absolutely no value of human life. You said that apathy permeates every level of Russian government. Everyone who works for that government has absolutely no empathy for other humans. Do you worry that that treatment, the way that they treated you, has only gotten worse the way that they're treating Americans now? Absolutely. I think that uh, as Russia becomes more desperate due to sanctions, uh, their war in Ukraine failing, uh, you know, political pressure from the United States, I think that the more desperate they get, the more brutal and kind of apathetic they're going to to be regarding, uh, you know, our citizens there. What does it say to you about the state of U.S.-Russia relations at this point? I think that uh, this is a perfect example that our relations have hit an all-time low. Uh, Russia hasn't taken uh, a journalist and accused them of espionage since the Cold War. Um, and taking a journalist, that kind of puts it into perspective for you how desperate the Russians have become. I think, you know, the next step after taking our journalists hostage there is, is basically diplomats is, is the next level. And it, it says something about uh, how far they're willing to go and how much they just basically don't care about their their image in, in the international theater. Given you lived through this, what's your advice to, to his family, his friends at this point, his colleagues as they're watching this? I would tell them that they need to prepare themselves for you know a long fight and they need to st start taking steps immediately to prepare them for that fight. And I would also tell them to be cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, my family put in an enormous amount of effort and time in order to get me out, and that paid off. Um, the Biden administration, President Biden, agreed to do a prisoner exchange, and, and that got me out, and that was pretty much because of what my parents had done there. Yeah, your parents, I mean, I, I was at the White House the day your parents came out. It was pouring rain, and they stood out in front of the White House because they wanted a meeting with President Biden to be able to raise you to raise your detention. What do you what do you think President Biden should do in this moment? What do you want to see from the U.S. government here? I want to see some definite action. Um, you know, they're going to have to to make some type of agreement to get him out. I don't know if that's going to involve a prisoner exchange. Um, obviously, there's there's a lot of of different things that go into those negotiations. But I think that it's our government's duty 
to do whatever it takes to get innocent Americans out. And also on that note, I want to thank you because it's actually a year um, since you asked President Biden if he would meet with my parents at the White House. Will you meet with Trevor Reed's parents, Mr. President, while they're here in Washington? They say that you promised them a meeting. I'm going to see if I can get to see them. They're Today? good. They're good people. I haven't. We're trying to work that out. My mom will get real angry with me if I don't don't mention that and say thank you from all of us. Well, your parents are amazing, and that was what any reporter should do and anything to help. I'm just so uh, glad he survived. And he, I noticed the first thing when I looked at your interview running on the air, I said he looks healthy. Now he's so thin uh, when he returned. Yeah, well, he lost a lot of weight. And I mean, his perspective, you know, we did that interview with Jake. He talked about how, how bad the diet was. Things, small things from uh, just the everyday life in Russian prison and also talking about how he just thinks there's a complete apathy and like lack of regard for human life in Russia, saying it's not just with Putin, it's the entire government. Just a, a remarkable moment. So I'm really glad that Trevor Reed sat down with us. And men- mentally healthy as well. We're glad that yeah. he's doing okay. to what ev- yeah. To what evidence going through nice eventually now. And shows the power of a reporter question. To the president. Yeah. Good job. Speaking of presidents, former President Donald Trump becomes the first former or sitting U.S. president to face criminal charges. We're going to discuss this unprecedented moment in American history. Also, we want to tell you there is a real ramp up of security and police presence right here in New York City. How law enforcement is preparing for Trump's initial court appearance, the potential demonstrations and the Secret Service detail. That would be can't really overstate this because for the first time in U.S. history, a sitting or former U.S. president has been indicted on criminal charges. Trump is now expected to turn himself in for arraignment next Tuesday. I can't believe I just said that. Turn himself in for arraignment next Tuesday. Speaking of being a first, he was also the first U.S. president to survive two impeachments. So joining us now, sitting political analyst Julian Zalazar who also is also a historian and a professor at Princeton University. So glad to have you to put this in. Nice to be here. Good morning to you. Good morning. So let's talk about, let's put this in perspective. Um, he is not the first U.S. president, right, to face uh, criticism for wrongdoing or, or at least possible consequences, but the first to be indicted. You have Richard Nixon, um, almost indicted back in 1974, drew up the papers. It did not happen. He resigned. They made a deal. Um, so, uh, and President Ford pardoned him. Yeah. So... How different? How different will this be? Well, Do well, we know? It, it, well, it is different already, meaning once Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon in 1974, we haven't had a question of can a president or a former president be held legally accountable? So what we do know right now, based on the grand jury, uh, based on uh, Bragg's decision, that that is a yes, meaning they can be held legally accountable. We don't know how the case will turn out. We don't even know the details of the case. And politically, the story might be very different. This might, in fact, be a way uh, that the former president weaponizes attacks against him to his advantage. But legally, it's significant. It's a different direction from what Ford said when he pardoned Richard Nixon. I love that you pointed out getting into this a first and not this isn't the only way Trump is a first in the legal realm. He's also the first to survive, as you said, to impeachments to be acquitted both times by the Senate. So there's just no, this is uncharted legal territory, and this is a guy who has withstood so much legally. It's fascinating. And if you had told me seven, eight years ago, uh, could a former president running again 
uh, survive an indictment, an indictment about a relationship with an adult film star? Uh, the answer would have been no. That would be the end of the candidacy. But yet here we are, not just saying he could survive as he did the impeachments, but he might thrive from it, uh, which tells you a lot about him and about how our political system has changed since 1974 mm. when the weight of something like this would have been too much for a candidate or a former president to bear. And I think the important thing also to note here is this isn't impeachment. This isn't political. He can't call up yeah. a Republican senator or a Republican House lawmaker and talk about this and try to convince them not to vote to impeach him. This is in the legal system's hands. But you make a great point, and I think it's so important for the viewers to note this. This is an indictment. It is not a conviction. There is still a very long road ahead, and we don't actually know what that road even looks like. And it's possibly one of several indictments. So this indictment in itself, we don't know the details, and some legal experts will tell you this is maybe the thinnest or the weakest of all. There's still the Georgia case, for example, which is looming out there. So we don't know how this one unfolds and how they unfold together in terms of the politics. But you're right. In impeachment, he was protected by a partisan bubble, meaning Republicans could essentially save him in the Senate. The legal system is different. Uh, politics will matter. Public opinion can have an effect. Uh, but it's a much narrower court. And that's why Trump is less able to protect himself from this indictment moving forward. I, I think that because he survived two impeachments and he had the, the political bubble, as you said, I think this is different, though. I'm not so sure about the thriving after this. This is uncharted territory. I, ju I just don't believe, um, look, history according to Trump, right? Trump's history. Yeah, he will thrive from it. He'll use it. But I don't know if that necessarily applies to this particular time. I mean, we don't know, but think yeah. of this. When Nixon was in trouble in 74, Republicans in the end came out against him, yeah. and Republicans wanted nothing to do with him for a long time. He was essentially ostracized. Within hours, Republicans are rallying around him right now, including Ron DeSantis, who called this unpatriotic. So there is a different political moment, so we'll see how that plays out. Some, but not all. And Mike Pence, who was on last night, uh, is obviously not like a fan him. of the former president yeah. right now, but also defending him last night. Right. Julian, thank you Thanks, very man. much. Thank Julian. you. So, Caitlin's reporting overnight. Some people in the president's camp were really caught off guard by his indictment. Why they thought the case might be falling apart just ahead. Also up next, another legal development. This one very different than the one we've been talking about all morning. Gwyneth Paltrow has proved victorious and is a dollar richer this morning. We'll tell you what happened with her case next. Everybody was talking about this. This too. is a story Don is saying everyone is talking about because a lot of people are talking about what the Utah jury has done, clearing Gwyneth Paltrow in her civil trial over this ski accident in 2016. Terry Sanderson was suing her for $300,000, claiming she'd crashed into him on the slopes, causing broken ribs and a brain injury. She said he crashed into her, and she countersued him for a dollar-plus legal fees. Well, it wasn't it. It was Gwyneth Paltrow at fault? No. Did Terry Sanderson's fault cause Gwyneth Paltrow's harm? Yes. What percent of the fault do you assign to Terry Sanderson? 100%. Damages. What amount fairly compensates Gwyneth Paltrow for economic damages? $1. The jury deliberated for just two hours before returning that verdict. You know what? 
She took the stand. She stood by. And this was not about money. This was about principle for her. Uh, But it was fascinating. This came down almost at the same time that the Trump indictment came down. And people were talking about this and social media bubbling almost as much as Trump. They they call it, what, Gwinnison? I don't know. But she is, according to that jury. All right. Up next, we have more of our special coverage of Donald Trump's indictment, a reaction from his lawyer, his potential 2024 opponent, and the star witness in the case. The former president is expected to be in a New York courtroom for his arraignment Tuesday. What that could look like, what it will look like, still ahead. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Well, good morning, everyone. A busy day ahead. It was a busy night and you are waking up to history. America waking up to the historic news that President Donald J. Trump has been indicted. He is the very uh, first president. We've never seen this before in history. So here's the latest on this Friday, March 31st, 2023. Sources tell CNN Trump faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud. This case prosecuted by the Manhattan District Attorney centers around the accounting of hush money payments made to adult film star Stormy Daniels. As of now, this is how it's supposed to go down because multiple sources say Trump will turn himself in. Next Tuesday, he is expected to appear in court for his arraignment in New York. The NYPD getting ready for any sign of trouble. All officers are being told to report to work in uniform prepared for deployment today. Meanwhile, Republicans in the House, Senate, and even some 2024 rivals are rushing to Trump's defense, calling the case political and outrage, and even one of them saying, quote, it's legal voodoo. The White House unexpectedly is not commenting as of this morning. Reporters will have a chance to ask President Biden about it as he leaves from Mississippi shortly. CNN This Morning's special coverage continues right now. This morning, as you are waking up, the United States is entering uncharted territory. Donald Trump has now become the first ex-president in the history of the U.S. to face criminal charges. Not only that, he is running for re-election right now as he is preparing to turn himself in and be arraigned here in New York on Tuesday. CNN's senior legal affairs correspondent, Paula Reed is here with us now. Paula, obviously, the biggest part of this is that we don't actually know what the charges are here. It is still under seal, but we can learn what it is very soon. What are the other details? What are we expecting next? That's right. What's so surprising is even the former president's legal team doesn't know what he has been charged with, but that is standard for this district attorney's office. And I am told there is this desire to try to treat the former president the same way they would treat any other defendant. So we're told, even just moments ago, I was speaking with one of his lawyers, he is still expected to appear on Tuesday, and they are going to put him through a process that anyone else would go through, appearing before a judge, being fingerprinted, photographed. But look, even if they want to treat him like anyone else, this case is like nothing we've seen before. Yeah, it's like nothing we've seen before. A Manhattan grand jury voting to indict former President Donald Trump Thursday. While the case is still under seal, sources tell CNN he faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud. The former president responding to the indictment, calling the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg a disgrace and claiming the entire investigation is a witch hunt. He's ready to fight. You know, he's the toughest guy I know. And he's, um, he was shocked, you know, because we really were, I was shocked. Today, the rule of law in the United States of America died. 
The indictment concludes a years-long probe investigating a hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels to remain silent about an alleged affair with Trump, an affair Trump denies. The case relies in part on the testimony of Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, who has in the past pleaded guilty to nine federal crimes, including lying. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents. Uh, there's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. Cohen paid Daniels $130,000 just weeks before the 2016 presidential election. According to court filings, the Trump Organization reimbursed Cohen $420,000. It's a fight against his rejection of truth and his manufacturing of, of stories that really uh, motivated her. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office was also asking questions during the grand jury proceedings about Karen McDougal. She was paid $150,000 by the company that publishes the National Enquirer to stay silent about another alleged affair with Trump. Trump has denied any affair with McDougal. Trump's longtime friend and then chairman of the National Enquirer's parent company, David Pecker, is believed to have orchestrated the payment and was one of the last witnesses to testify before the grand jury Monday. But even Trump's potential Republican presidential rivals criticizing the indictment. Governor Ron DeSantis tweeting, it's un-American. And Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, telling CNN. I think the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States on a campaign finance issue is an outrage. Paula, you're getting new reporting about when the Manhattan District Attorney actually wanted Trump to turn himself in. What are we learning? So I'm just learning from one of the former president's attorneys that the Manhattan District Attorney wanted Trump to turn himself in today which would have been a really tight turnaround. But because, of course, all the security concerns and preparations, that was not possible. So he is still expected to appear next Tuesday. But look, one of the biggest outstanding questions here that I don't think has been answered is why now? This is conduct that occurred seven years ago. This has been under investigation for five years. And in recent months, we've suddenly seen this case heat up and it's unclear why. So that is something that Manhattan District Attorney is going to have to help people yeah. understand as he begins to talk about this right. publicly, which as we understand, will be during the arraignment. But that likely wouldn't be included when this indictment is unsealed because generally, unless it's a speaking, speaking indictment, right, it's going to be very bare bones listing those 30 plus charges. Yeah, and we expect at that time, that's when the district attorney will start speaking about this, probably not about everything, but right. at some point he's going to have to answer questions. Sure. And I think this is the big question, because in the court of public opinion, the former president and his allies are seizing on this as politically motivated. But it could be that there's new evidence or some other reason that caused this to all come to a head now. It is at arraignment where uh, the D.A. will ask for the indictment to be unsealed and then we'll find out what's in there uh, once he is granted that. But again, I'm going to clip. It's 5 a.m. early, right? We were all here late last night. Uh, you said he's, he's going to be treated. They're trying to treat him just like anyone else, except they'll probably expedite his arraignment when he sees a judge. Um, he probably won't be in a lockup. And I, I said um, no fingerprinting. It's early. I read Definitely fingerprinting, but possibly no mugshot is what. But we still we yeah, don't know. We don't it's know. unprecedented. Exactly. And they couldn't start the negotiations until there was a possible indictment. And I was told, look, they don't have all the details nailed down. If there was an indictment, they would begin the negotiation process. And that we've learned started last night. Yep. Yeah.
Thanks, Paul. Paul Great reporting. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. So uh, we're going to move on and talk about where the former president is now. Uh, it is believed he is at Mar-a-Lago. And there's a live look at Mar-a-Lago now. Uh, the former president overnight blasting the indictment, calling it a political persecution uh, and election interference at the highest level in history. Despite his defiance, though, sources are telling CNN that Trump is expected to turn himself in in just Um, days from now, on Tuesday, as you just heard the reporting from Paula, they wanted him to turn himself in, according to uh, her sources, to today. That did not happen. So let's check in now with Kristen Holmes. Kristen, how exactly is this expected to go down? Good morning, by the way. Good morning, Don. Well, that's the big question. I'm told by a source that that's exactly what his team is working on now. This is going to be a huge security undertaking, and it's going to involve cooperation and coordination between the Secret Service as well as law enforcement officials in New York, which is why it's really stunning uh, that they were trying to have such a quick turnaround, knowing the security concerns. Now, while those entities will be working on security in terms of law enforcement, we know that Trump's team will be looking at the optics. As we know, former President Trump Trump cares about the optics. I've talked to a number of sources who say they're trying to figure out exactly what this looks like from a media standpoint. Where will the cameras be? Where will Trump be walking? Is he able to give a statement? Should he give a statement? Is it safe? to stand out there and give a statement. Now, I am told by a number of sources who have spoke to Trump in the last 24 hours that his demeanor has been relatively controlled, that he went to dinner with Melania in front of guests and greeted them at Mar-a-Lago last night, that he met with advisors. And as we reported last night, several members of Trump's team and the former president himself did feel blindsided by the timing of this indictment. They had spent weeks on edge getting ready for this, but they had seen the media reports saying that the grand jury was likely not to hear Trump's case before they went on hiatus. So they thought they had some time. And in fact, some advisors actually believe that perhaps D.A. Bragg was considering not bringing charges. But obviously, that wasn't the case. So what you're expected to see now is surrogates rolling out. The Trump team tells me that they are putting out people on the airwaves, doing podcasts, social media, blasting out this message in support of the former president, defending him. And they are certainly keeping track of who is defending the former president at this time, Don. All right. In Washington, Kristen Holmes. Kristen, thank you so much. Also this, Caitlin, you've got some new reporting on what some in the president's inner circle, their camp actually thought, right, thinking that maybe this wasn't going to happen just before the indictment came. Is that right? Yeah, they were a little bit surprised. It's weird because they're surprised, but they're not surprised because they've been bracing for this. Obviously, Trump had that post uh, last week saying he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. That didn't ultimately happen. And we're told that people in Trump's gar- in his camp were caught off guard because his legal team and others have kind of been speculating over the last several days about what the Manhattan district attorney was doing, wondering, was this case falling apart? Why they not heard anything? Sources said that Trump's legal team had been kind of arguing amongst themselves that if the DA is trying to prove Trump committed this crime of falsifying business records, that he was potentially missing a key element when it came to the intent to defraud. They were talking about that. They also questioned the timing. A lot of the political aspect of this, political allies of Trump's were asking, what's taking so long? Trump had that rally in Waco, Texas over the weekend when he told reporters on his plane on the way, quote, this of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, I think they've already dropped the case. It's a fake case, some fake cases. They have absolutely nothing. 
Obviously, that did not happen. Trump has now been indicted. When news of the indictment came down yesterday, the former president was at Mar-a-Lago. They had been prepping these political attacks on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. They were caught off guard when it actually came out. They saw it in news reports before it actually been confirmed to them by the DA's office. But even as Trump and his legal team had been speculating that the case may not go forward, may not have a ton of merits, they still have been bracing for an indictment. We should know they have not actually seen the indictment yet either. It is still under seal. They're kind of basically as in the dark as the rest of us at this point. Of course, we are in these uncharted waters with a former president of the United States now being indicted. This has never happened before. So to help us put all of this in context, I want to turn now to Ellie Honig, who is the CNN senior legal analyst and the former assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. You know a thing or two about how all of this is going down behind closed doors. Uh, but the historic nature of this can't be understated. Yeah, we are living history. This is the kind of thing they will be teaching in law schools decades from now. So let's start with the facts here, because any good legal analysis, you have to start with the facts. This all circulates around two hush money payments that were made by Donald Trump or people around him to two women who alleged that they had had affairs with Donald Trump. Stormy Daniels was paid $130,000. Karen McDougal was paid $150,000. Now, it's important to note these actual alleged affairs happened years before, 2006 for Stormy Daniels, 2006, 2007 for Karen McDougal. And nearly a decade later, we all remember that moment in June of 2015 when Donald Trump came down that elevator and announced his presidential bid. Now, really important meeting happens two months after that. August 2015, Donald Trump meets with Michael Cohen, who will be an important witness in this case, and David Pecker, who also has testified in the grand jury. Now, David Pecker is in charge of AMI, the company that publishes the National Enquirer, and they talk about how they need to catch and kill these damaging stories, pay for these stories, and then not run them. And then a couple months after that, Karen McDougal's story is paid for by AMI, by the Enquirer, by Pecker. It is caught and killed. They pay for it. They do not run it. Then we all remember that moment about a month before the election when the Access Hollywood tape came out. Donald Trump caught on tape making inflammatory comments. And then just days after that, they work out a catch and kill arrangement with Stormy Daniels. The way this one works is Michael Cohen pays Stormy Daniels $130,000 and then he gets reimbursed by a series of checks that get paid by Donald Trump and the Trump organization over about a year after the election. So that's the way these payments were all set up. And that's what leads us to the case here now. Um, Ellie, let's talk about uh, Michael Cohen, right? He is the star witness. It is believed at this point. We don't know. It is still sealed, right? Sure. So we don't know exactly what the charges are. We don't know what's in the indictment. I asked him about last night. People are saying, you know, this is uh, the weaker case. I'm not sure why they're indicting him on this. This is a misdemeanor. They said that was raised uh, to the level um, uh, of a, um, felony. What do you call a felony. It's early. <laughs> so I want to hear what he has to say and then get your response. So here it is. This notion of, oh, this is a weaker case than the January 6th. I acknowledge that. January 6th was an insurrection, but does it make this any less of a crime? You know, I always call this the Capone theory, the Al Capone theory. They couldn't get him on murder, extortion, racketeering, bootlegging, etc. They got him on tax evasion. If that crime, Don, was enough for me to be charged, fined, convicted, and sent to prison, why am I any different than Donald Trump? What do you say to that? So I think Michael Cohen's right. This is the least serious of the cases, but that doesn't mean it's an unserious case. Important to keep in mind, 
Michael Cohen was prosecuted federally by the Southern District of New York. That's a different office. We're talking now this indictment of Donald Trump is by the state prosecutors across the street. But back in 2018, Michael Cohen was prosecuted federally. He ended up pleading guilty to campaign finance crimes relating to these very same payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. Michael Cohen also pled guilty to unrelated perjury, tax fraud and financial fraud and really important moment. The Justice Department, the Southern District of New York, when it came time for Michael Cohen's sentencing, here's what they said in their letter to the judge. In particular, and as Cohen himself has now admitted, with respect to both payments to Daniels and McDougal, he acted in coordination with and at the direction of individual one. Of course, we know individual one is Donald Trump. So one of the arguments that you're hearing is Michael Cohen went to prison in part for this shouldn't Donald Trump as well? That was my question. If he faced consequences, why shouldn't Trump? Yeah, I mean, there are some fine distinctions here. Let's remember, because Michael Cohen was prosecuted federally. Donald Trump, we're now looking at a state prosecution. We could have some different laws with important differences. Let me walk you through what some of those state laws could be here. Donald Trump, first of all, we don't know. We've not seen this indictment. But if they are based on these hush money payments, important to understand, hush money payments are not criminal themselves. The potential state misdemeanor here is for falsification of business records. Were these payments falsely logged as legal fees? Now, that's a misdemeanor. That's a low-level offense. However, if prosecutors can tie the falsification of business records to some other crime, then it becomes a felony, a much more serious offense, maximum of four years, although the sentence could still be nothing. So what could that other crime be? One of the theories is that it could be related to campaign finance violations. A little bit of a legal question about whether state prosecutors can charge something relating to a federal election, the election for president. We have not seen that indictment. What we do know, thanks to our outstanding reporting team, is that there are over 30 charges in that indictment. We haven't seen them yet. We are all waiting to see that when when the arraignment, when the indictment gets unsealed at the arraignment on Tuesday. Ellie, let's talk about what happens now. So Tuesday, Trump's supposed to come appear in court like any other defendant, but he's unlike any other defendant. Let's be clear. Okay, (laughs) what if he doesn't come because he's in Florida and the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, tweeted out last night. Florida will not assist in any extradition. So we could also be in another set of uncharted territory, which is. What do you do if a governor of a state won't extradite you to another state where you're wanted in court? There's two ways this could play out. Either Donald Trump shows up on his own and then we'll go through this court process. If there's some resistance here by Ron DeSantis, that will be political theater. Ultimately, the law is clear. It's in the Constitution. There's a federal law. There's cases on this that say a governor cannot ultimately block extradition Mm -hmm. of a person from one state to another when he appears, when Donald Trump appears in court, as our reporting is on Tuesday, he may be fingerprinted, there may be a mugshot, the indictment will be unsealed, so we'll see it. The charges will be read, he'll enter his plea, which will be not guilty, and then the judge will let him out on bail, what we call released on his own recognizance, meaning go home, come back next time we need you. Ellie Honig, Fascinating. lot Thank of you. slides that you'll be breaking down over the coming days. <laughs> I'll be back. That Thank was you a so lot, much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. So Republicans are rushing to defend the former president this morning. It's interesting who, right, and their relationship to the former president, what Kevin McCarthy and some of Trump's 2024 rivals are saying. And as we continue to cover this indictment of former President Trump, we'll speak with lawyers for both Donald Trump and Michael Cohen. Republican Congressman Brian Mass also joins us and Democratic lawmaker Daniel Goldman, who is a lead counsel on Trump's first impeachment trial. Also, Mike Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short, is here. So there's a lot to unpack. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. 
Okay, we are back now with our, our news on the former president, Donald Trump, blasting the case on his social media platform last night and fundraising off of the indictment. He was also calling key congressional allies to shore up support. For the most part, House Republicans circle the wagons. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy calling it an unprecedented abuse of power. His number two, Congressman Steve Scalise, called it weaponizing government. Jim Jordan, Republican conference chair, uh, Elise Stefanik, blasting it as well. And his former vice president and potential 2024 rival, Mike Pence, calling it an outrage and saying this. No one is above the law, including former presidents. Let me be clear on that point. And, and uh, the American people know this. But in this case, and, and a controversy over campaign finance, I can't speak to the merits of this case at all, but I, I can speak to the, the issue emanating out of a question over campaign finance should never have risen to the level to bring an, an unprecedented and historic prosecution so against a former Trump president. All right, that was an interview last night with Wolf Blitzer. So CNN political commentator and political anchor for Spectrum News, Errol Lewis, joins us now. Errol, thank you very much. So you see the, the folks there, Kevin McCarthy, these are, you know, top-tier Republicans, the former vice president there. Obviously, they have ulterior motives. Some of them have presidential aspirations and what have you. But is this really good for Trump? Is this unifying the entire party? I'm not so sure about that. Oh, no, there's no way. There's no way. This is not good for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is in a lot of legal trouble. He's in legal hot water that is very real. And people should keep in mind, I don't know why folks are rushing to his defense without, you know, at least recalling that the Trump organization, two companies within it, were found guilty of extensive tax fraud. They should remember that his organization is facing up to $250 million in additional civil charges from the New York State Attorney General. This is serious stuff. It goes back a long, long time. And ultimately, although there are a lot of titillating details that are out there involving porn stars and so forth, this is a business fraud case. And this is an organization led by a man. They've already been found guilty of, uh, of, of criminal yeah. conduct uh, in, in the operations of the business. So it is not a far step to imagine that it's going to go just a little bit further. And all of the Republicans who are rushing to defend him without having seen the indictment are risking looking very, very foolish at the end of but this. One thing that's interesting, and I think it's an important nuance for us to point out, our Jeff Zeleny was reporting it last night, is that a lot of these Republican defenses are not necessarily defenses of Trump. They are against the indictment and the charge. And Jeff's reporting was you can be Republican and be, a, you know, in, in Congress and be against the charge, but also against Trump. Right. It's not in a lot of these statements. It's not in the DeSantis tweet. Trump's name doesn't even come up. What do you make of that? Well, look, they're trying to thread a needle that, I, in my opinion, cannot be threaded. I mean, uh, the, the idea that somehow it's not serious in this case where, again, allegations of extensive business fraud are what we are very likely to see in this indictment to say that, oh, that's no big deal. When Michael Cohen, among others, have actually you know, served time for yeah, this. I think they're not saying it's no big deal. They're saying for this to be the basis of the first time ever in American history to indict a former president. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, 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 um, I was a first. I would. Well, there had, right, somebody had to be first. Right. But you, you also, I think, would have to ask them, um, when have we ever had a president or like an ex-president yeah. whose uh, company was convicted of criminal tax fraud going back 15 years? When have we ever had an ex-president who pleaded the fifth 400 times in connection with that 
uh, alleg- with these allegations of extensive criminal fraud. I'm, I'm really glad you said that because I think there's so much unknown here. And, you know, we can speculate until the end of the day, until Tuesday, as we will. We still have to wait to see what happens. But the nature of this, Peter Baker writes this in, on the front page of The New York Times today, and it's so accurate. He says so many unthinkable firsts have occurred since Donald J. Trump was elected to the White House in 2016. So many invaluable lines crossed. So many unimaginable events have shocked the world. It's easy to lose sight of just how astonishing this particular moment really is. Yeah, no, that, that really is true. I mean, and going back, and I've sat here, we, we've talked about this over the years. I mean, the, you know, the first unprecedented thing was to have a, a, a nominee, a major party nominee for president who had never served in government who had never been elected to any other office, who had never served in the military, you know. And so we've we've been, you know, venturing into new ground. And that's OK. Americans made a decision. We made a decision in 2016 to go in an unprecedented direction. And also, Americans voted for Trump knowing about the Stormy Daniels hush money payments. Um, kind of yes, kind of no. There was so much turmoil. And I mean, and a lot of the, the, the political fallout from this uh, expected indictment is really going to turn on that because, you know, this this all happened in, what was it, October 28th? Yeah. It was in the closing right hours, practically, of the campaign. And it's not clear whether or not that little additional piece of information after the Access Hollywood scandal uh, would have made much of a difference. But certainly uh, people within the Trump campaign, uh, close to the ex-president, thought it was important enough to hurry up and get the hush money paid and get the thing signed and make sure that nobody would talk about it. So, um, you know, in a very close election, perhaps it made a difference. Perhaps it didn't. We'll never we'll never know what we know for sure, though, is that, you know, people are going to have to make a decision. Does this matter? Does it not matter? Uh, does criminal business fraud um, make a difference or not? Are we going to take one more step and say we're going to reelect someone who's been found guilty, who's been impeached twice, found uh, run an organization that was found guilty of criminal tax fraud, has been criminally indicted personally are we going to take that new step into the unknown? Um, it's, that's a very different question from, you know, sort of trying to smear Alvin Bragg, trying to smear the rule of law, trying to downplay the idea that, you know, criminal business fraud is no big deal. Um, I think for a lot of people, it is kind of a big deal. You bring up a very good point. I have to remember, picture. we talked about this before. Were you on the plane? Remember when you came back and talked about Michael Cohen? I think it was Catherine Lucy from the Associated Press. That, that was the question. seminal moment in this, and this was after the election, if I'm correct, where he comes back on the plane and he goes to talk to Michael Cohen. Everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, he's admitting that something happened." So you're right; they did vote for him, knowing, but not all the facts. Yeah, you know, I love that clip. I remember I was I was uh, doing some commentary, in fact, with some of you folks here here on CNN when that happened, and I remember, you know putting aside all of the analysis and all of the learning and all the stuff that we know. And I said, look, just look at that man. He's not telling the truth. You know, he's standing there in the doorway. He didn't know about the payments. You'd have to ask Michael Cohen, of course. Yeah, We've seen yeah. how that saga has look at his, look, look, look at his body language. He wasn't yeah. telling the truth. Right. Everybody knew that. Errol Lewis, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Errol. We will continue, obviously, to follow this historic indictment of former President Trump. But first, newly released audio reveals some of the chilling 911 calls from the elementary school shooting in Nashville as funerals for the victims begin. Also, Russia has arrested an American reporter and accused him of being a spy. How the White House says it is responding, that's next. Well, funerals begin today for the victims of the Nashville school shooting as that city and the entire nation mourn the deaths, the murder of three children and three teachers killed at Covenant Elementary School. A service for nine-year-old Evelyn Dickhouse will be held today. Guests were asked to wear pink or other joyful colors in tribute to Evelyn's light and love of color. 
We are also this morning hearing for the first time just chilling 911 calls from that day. All I saw was a man holding an assault rifle shooting through the door. It was the, excuse me, he's currently in the second grade hallway, second grade stairs. Okay, so, a white man, white man, white man. camouflage with a vest on and a assault rifle. You're going down the hall shooting, there's glass, there's glass in the doors. Yes. He's shooting through the glass in the doors. Well, Carlos Suarez joins us live outside the church where the service for Evelyn will be held this afternoon. And just to picture all the people who will walk in in bright colors in honor of a little nine-year-old girl who loved that. That's exactly right, Poppy. Good morning. Family, friends, loved ones, as well as members of this community here in Nashville are all expected to take part in this funeral service for nine-year-old Evelyn Dickhouse. According to an obituary uh, for that child, uh, she was described as a beacon of joy to her family. Her faith was pure and her prayers were sincere. According to that obituary, the child's most prized possession was a large collection of stuffed animal tigers, all of them named Tony. The last time the family was at this church, we're told, was earlier this week, the night of, uh, the night of that shooting. Uh, we're told the family had gathered here after that uh, shooting happened in the morning. They gathered here at night for a vigil. Poppy? Carlos, unimaginable pain for all of them. Thank you for being there, and we'll continue to watch as these services are held. So security concerns escalating in New York after the historic indictment of the ex-president, Donald Trump. How police are preparing, that's straight ahead, for his arraignment. Welcome back, everyone. Um, look, that's New York City, right? Mm-hmm. So uniformed New York police officers deployed all across the city after the historic Trump indictment. The department's internal memo states that all officers should be prepared for mobilization starting today ahead of the arraignment next Tuesday. We are joined now by CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, Mr. John Miller. John, good morning to you. Good morning. So. Uh, a source is telling you, you have great sources, right? Um, I can confirm the, that. The, the Secret Service, the U.S. Marshals having conversations, this is a continuing conversations with all of law enforcement mm-hmm. to try to coordinate this because this is unprecedented. So what, what do you think they're most concerned about? Is it unrest or what? Well, they're most concerned about Tuesday. Um, if you're going to bring Donald Trump in to be booked um, on criminal charges, uh, they're not worried about how to get him in and get him out as much as they're worried about what kind of crowd could be generated. So what are they looking at? They're looking at social media platforms. They're looking carefully at statements from Donald Trump and supporters um, about rallying people. Um, but the New York City Police Department is unique in this regard in that you've got 35,000 uh, police officers. It's not like what we saw in Washington, D.C., where there are finite limits to that. I mean, when they thought he was going to be indicted Tuesday, uh, the week before last, Uh, Their first effort at that was 10 mobile field forces on Monday, 14 on Tuesday. That comes out to 752 cops um, of mobile field forces, one lieutenant, five sergeants, 40 cops. These move as a group. Um, But, you know, you can keep pressing that button and you can order another thousand cops or another and another. So what you're seeing today is a layering, a show of presence, not of force, um, to say we're in, we're in place, and they have the entire 
police department in uniform today. If you're working narcotics, if you're on the terrorism squad, if you're in uh, uh, an administrative job, you were there in full uniform, all officers of all ranks as of 7 a.m. today. So what they are is at the ready. Secret Service also will be here when Trump does come, if he comes on Tuesday, as we are expecting at this point. Paula Reid is reporting, that, confirming some political reporting, political reporting that Trump was actually asked to come and surrender today, that this indictment came down yesterday. They wanted him here. His attorney says, oh, that they needed more time and that the Secret Service uh, would need to coordinate the surrender. Does that sound right to you? It does. Okay. It does. Uh, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, uh, when they were preparing to do this a couple of Mondays ago, before they had to take a step back and reexamine their process after the testimony of uh, one of Trump's uh, attorneys who actually Bob defended Costello. Michael, Bob Costello, uh, they, they were pressing to, you know, have him in within 24 to 48 hours of the indictment. Um, they are trying to maintain this posture, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, that he would be treated like any other defendant. You've been charged, and unless, you know, we're not going to go arrest you, but you have to present yourself relatively quickly. So they haven't changed that posture. Tuesday is relatively quickly. You know, you have a defendant who's in Florida, mm -hmm. uh, who's also, as you point out, under protection of the United States Secret Service, um, and, you know, who has stated, tell me when and where and I'll be there. I just said that I wonder if wanting him to come right away on Friday, as Bragg's office did today, is also, you know, to not give time for a lot of people to mobilize to come to the city. But who knows? Look, let me ask about your reporting last night. It's just fantastic. I was watching as you broke the news. Uh, fantastic reporting that this indictment um, is large, maybe not detailed unless it's a speaking indictment, but large in terms of 30 plus charges relating to falsifying business records. What more are you learning well, I wouldn't read too much into the number yeah. of counts okay. in the indictment because the number of counts, and this is, this is common in state prosecutions. If I stole your ATM card, that would be grand larceny. But every time I put it in a machine and took out $20, that's, that's one count, count okay. two count, three counts. So in a case like this, this is a paper-driven case. Every document that is filed in a case that's based on falsification of business records is potentially its own count. Mm -hmm. um, so... It sounds like a lot, but in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the crime, it doesn't tell us much more than how many steps were involved in, in doing this. Unless, allegedly, unless there's conspiracy, right? Because then you would have a much more detailed indictment to be unsealed. Well, that's right. If it's a conspiracy, if they have cobbled together a web between the Stormy Daniels case mm -hmm. and perhaps details from the McDougal case and you know, which lawyers were, you know, working with which newspaper publishers being directed by others within the Trump organization, then the conspiracy requires you to tell the story of the machinery of the, mm. and the participants and the steps of the conspiracy. Um, and that's an indictment that requires a lot more storytelling. So a bare bones indictment may be just the charges and each individual charge. Yeah. Uh, a conspiracy will tell us much more. Yeah. Wanting, wanting him to turn himself in today, um, the speed with which they wanted him to turn himself in. I don't think that we should uh, discount that or downplay it because Tuesday, that's a long time for people to mobilize. Donald Trump loves a circus. They will probably try to get him to go in through, right, uh, the concealed place, like underground. But he probably wants to be out there in front of people saying, look, this is a witch hunt, this is what have you. That just ratchets this up. So I think that, you know, we have to go, but we shouldn't downplay that. that well, I mean, there's that. But the NYPD, you know, has 
would would have wanted time to prepare as well. So uh, Tuesday is not that soon and not that far off either. That was the first indication that something was happening. The NYPD preparing downtown. And if you've been down there, it is a circus. I was down there last week. It is a circus around um, the courthouse downtown. Thank you, John. John. Good to see you. We're going to continue to cover cover this historic indictment of former President Trump, but we're also following other news here, including a military investigative team now on the ground near Fort Campbell, Kentucky, for news we brought you yesterday morning. They're trying to figure out why two Black Hawk helicopters crashed, ultimately killing nine U.S. service members. We have a live report on the ground ahead. Well, this morning, a military investigative team is on the ground in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, trying to find out what caused the deadly crash of two Black Hawk helicopters. This happened during a training mission on Wednesday night, and it claimed the lives of nine U.S. service members. Our Dan Gallagher is live for us in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. It's a tragedy. And in training that this happened, what are you learning about this investigation? Well, Poppy, the special aviation safety team from Fort Rucker, Alabama, arrived just before 8 p.m. Central Time last night. And we're told that they've been working through the night at that crash site, trying to gather evidence and figure out exactly what caused those two Black Hawk helicopters to crash on Wednesday night. Now, we do have some weather that's moving in, so we're told that they will work thoroughly, but are going to have to work quickly. They have lights up around that crash site and tarps as well to preserve that scene from the weather, but also to make it easier for them to work. According to the 101st Airborne Division, uh, they were those Blackhawks were performing a multi-ship formation in a training with night vision goggles. These are medevac variants of the Blackhawk helicopter when the crash happened. There was no radioing for help beforehand. Uh, when it comes to those nine service members who were killed, we do not expect that we will have identification of them today, but it could come as early as tomorrow. Diane, we're glad you're there. Thank you for the reporting. Also this morning, newly released video appears to show the Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gerskovich arriving at a Moscow court yesterday after he was arrested on espionage charges. The White House now says it is fighting for consular access for the American citizen, saying that the charges are, quote, ridiculous. This is a priority for this administration, uh, regardless of whether someone has received uh, a wrongful detention de- designation. The State Department seeks counselor access for all Americans uh, held abroad, and that's what we're waiting to do. That's what we're, we're fighting for, to get, uh, get that counselor representation for Evan at this time. CNN's Matthew Chance is live in Moscow this morning. Matthew, we talked about this yesterday when this hit, we were just hearing and learning about these charges. What do we know about where Evan is now and what's next for him? Well, that video is interesting because we saw Evan Gershkovich arriving at the Lefortovo courthouse, which is in central Moscow. It's part of a larger sort of complex of sort of prison facilities. Uh, when he was inside the court, the, the court designated his case top secret, which means details are not being made public. Uh, it emerged that he has not accepted guilt for the crime of espionage for which he's been charged. Uh, And the court arraigned him in pretrial detention until May the 29th, so nearly two months from now when he gets his next day in court. In terms of where he is now, well, that's not being revealed publicly, but I think the expectation is he's probably at that Lefortovo prison in that pretrial detention centre. That's where lots of people accused of this serious offence 
of, of espionage are held in terms of access to him. Well, we know the United States is pushing hard the Russian authorities to get consular access uh, to Evan Gershkovich. But at the moment, at least the latest we know, is that that access has not yet been granted. And so obviously when that happens, you know, we'll, we'll probably get more details about where he is and how he is. Yeah, his attorney wasn't even allowed in the courtroom yesterday. Matthew Chance, I know you'll keep tracking this. We'll check back in with you. Thank you. Also ahead, the Marine Corps veteran Trevor Reed, who spent nearly three years in Russian prison and has a rare insight into this tells us what he thinks Evan Gerskovich might be going through right now. Taking a journalist, that kind of puts it into perspective for you how desperate the Russians have become. I think, you know, the next step after taking our journalists hostage there is, is basically diplomats is, is the next level. Trevor Reed says there's no doubt in his mind that Evan is being held as a hostage. You can see more of my interview with Trevor Reed in the next hour. A historic moment. Donald Trump has been indicted. He is slated to appear in court next week. We have um, now entered unprecedented territory. His allies erupting in fury. The White House still quiet. What will happen next? We have our CNN legal experts standing by. Lawyers for both Trump and Michael Cohen will join us. Their reaction to the indictment. So stay close. More CNN this morning to come after the break. No sitting or former president has ever been charged with a crime until now. So they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. And I'm just standing in their way. I think the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States on a campaign finance issue is an outrage. If that crime was enough for me to be charged, fined, convicted and sent to prison, why am I any different than Donald Trump? Today, the rule of law in the United States of America died. I think this is a much stronger case than people recognize. You follow the facts, doesn't matter what party you are, doesn't matter your background. What did you do and what does the law say? This is literally legal voodoo. This is political persecution. This is a combination of political hatred and selective prosecution on steroids. This is necessary, but obviously it's a momentous and tragic day. Morning, everyone. And here we are, an unprecedented moment in American history. Donald Trump, now the first ex-president in the history of this country to be indicted and face criminal charges. Sources are telling CNN he is facing more than 30 counts related to business fraud here in New York. He is expected to turn himself in on Tuesday. And the Manhattan District Attorney's case is centered around the accounting of hush money payments to Stormy Daniels, we've learned about the grand jury's historic decision. We learned about that last night. Caitlin is reporting that some members of Trump's camp were caught off guard because his legal team was speculating that maybe this case by the Manhattan DA was falling apart. So later this hour, one of Trump's current attorneys is going to join us live. Also this morning, we want to show you just what everyone is waking up to and reading. These are some of the morning's front pages, as, as Don has been talking about here and showing us what, what everyone's looking at. Don. Every major newspaper around the country. The New York Times this morning, Trump uh, indicted above the fold. Here's the Wall Street Journal. Same thing. Trump indicted over hush money payment above the fold. Washington Post as well, just to show you a grand jury indicts Trump. And of course... Always the unorthodox headline you see there. The, center, the gathering stormy 
from the um, New York Post there. But as you saw, the full screen of all the papers there of uh, the former president's picture and what is happening, that's in every major newspaper around the country. Right now, I want to talk about how we got here and what is going on and what we can expect going forward. I want to bring in now our senior legal affairs correspondent, Paula Reed. She has been following this from the very beginning. Good morning to you. What are you learning about still the indictment and what we have to go through? And it is still yet to be unsealed. It's amazing. Even the former president's attorneys still don't know the charges that he has been that have been filed under seal. Now, that's because they want to treat him the same way they would treat any other defendant. And what we're expected to see on Tuesday is that he will go before a judge. He will be fingerprinted. He will be photographed again. They want this to be like any other case. But, Don, we know this is unlike any other case in U.S. history. A Manhattan grand jury voting to indict former President Donald Trump Thursday. While the case is still under seal, sources tell CNN he faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud. The former president responding to the indictment, calling the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg a disgrace and claiming the entire investigation is a witch hunt. He's ready to fight. You know, he's the toughest guy I know. Yeah. And he's, um, he was shocked. You know, because we really were, I was shocked. Today, the rule of law in the United States of America died. The indictment concludes a years-long probe investigating a hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels to remain silent about an alleged affair with Trump, an affair Trump denies. The case relies in part on the testimony of Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, who has in the past pleaded guilty to nine federal crimes, including lying. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents. Uh, there's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. Cohen paid Daniels $130,000 just weeks before the 2016 presidential election. According to court filings, the Trump Organization reimbursed Cohen $420,000. It's a fight against his rejection of truth and his manufacturing of, of stories that really uh, motivated her. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office was also asking questions during the grand jury proceedings about Karen McDougal. She was paid $150,000 by the company that publishes the National Enquirer to stay silent about another alleged affair with Trump. Trump has denied any affair with McDougal. Trump's longtime friend and then chairman of the National Enquirer's parent company, David Pecker, is believed to have orchestrated the payment and was one of the last witnesses to testify before the grand jury Monday. But even Trump's potential Republican presidential rivals criticizing the indictment. Governor Ron DeSantis tweeting, it's un-American. And Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, telling CNN. I think the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States on a campaign finance issue is an outrage. And one of the former president's attorneys it tells me that the district attorney actually wanted him to surrender today. That would have been, though, a really tight turnaround considering all the security that they would need to get in place. They wanted to tamp down the circus-like atmosphere that is sure to follow. So they wanted, instead of waiting till Tuesday over the weekend, time for people to gather and so forth, they wanted him to turn himself in so that this can be over and done with at least the appearance. So much for that. We'll see him on Tuesday, right, at, in what will surely be a circus-like atmosphere. All right.
Thank you very much. Paula Reed will continue to follow this. Caitlin? Well, I think it's important this morning to step back and look at how we got here. This didn't just come out of nowhere. And it was back in 2006, actually, that Trump first met both Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. Five years after that is when Stormy Daniels tried to sell her story to a publication known as Life and Style. But Michael Cohen, then working for Trump, threatened a lawsuit and the story was never published. Fast forward to 2015, Trump announces that he's running for president. Of course, he came down the escalator at Trump Tower. It's the following spring that Daniels tries to sell her story again. No one bites, not even the National Enquirer. That summer, Karen McDougal's story is caught and killed. And remember, CNN obtained a secret audio tape at the time of Trump and Cohen discussing how all of it would play out. You hear them mention David, as in David Pecker of the National Enquirer, who also testified this week before the grand jury, and Alan. That's Alan Weisselberg, who was the CFO of the Trump Organization and is right now still serving a jail sentence. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David. So I'm, I'm all over that. And I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be... What financing? We'll have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I got... No, no, no. A few months after that conversation is when a bombshell dropped and the Access Hollywood published a tape of former President Trump. That's candidate Trump at the time. The very next day, on October 8th, is when Daniels seemed to sense there was an opportunity to pitch her story once again. After years of failing to sell it, this time there was interest. On October 10th, three days after the Access Hollywood tape and about a month before the presidential election, Michael Cohen agreed to pay Stormy Daniels $130,000 in exchange for her silence. That deal threatened Daniels with severe financial penalties if she ever spoke about the alleged affair. On the 28th, that agreement was signed, 11 days before Election Day. Of course, an election we now all know Trump won. Poppy, all of this is, is the heart of what the district attorney is now looking at, what wow. they are going into. It, it is remarkable the time that has lapsed here yes. and the fact that it has culminated with this indictment that we saw. To walk through from 2006 until where we were and where we are now is remarkable indeed. Caitlin, thank you. So that's the timeline Let's talk about what came immediately after, right? 2016, 2017, Donald Trump paid Michael Cohen back with a series of monthly checks, right? $35,000 a month, month after month. Different case, but when Michael Cohen was looking at charges, the DOJ said that those checks were accounted for as legal expenses, even though they were not part of any legal service that he provided to Trump that year. So now what? Ellie Honig is back, our CNN senior legal analyst. Okay, Ellie. Let's start, I guess, where we are now, where we'll be on Tuesday. What happens now? Yeah, Poppy, so this is historic. This is unprecedented. But you know what? It's just a case as well. It will be titled People of the State of New York versus Donald Trump. So what are we going to see on Tuesday? This is what we call an arraignment. It's a first appearance in court. Donald Trump will be, in all likelihood, fingerprinted. He may have his mugshot taken as well. Mugshots, by the way, are typically not available to the public under New York state law. 
at that proceeding, the indictment will be unsealed. That's when mm-hmm. we'll see it. That's when we'll know what the charges are. The judge will read the charges to Donald Trump, ask him to enter his plea. He will certainly plead not guilty. And then the judge will almost certainly release Donald Trump on what we call his own recognizance, meaning come back when you will. One important thing I want to notice, this court where we're going to be is a state court. It is called, somewhat confusingly, New York Supreme Court. You hear Supreme Court, you think of nine justices in robes. The Supreme Court here means the trial level court in downtown Manhattan. After that arraignment, we're going to be into the trial process. We're going to have motions. Watch for Donald Trump's team to ask to downgrade or dismiss some of the charges. Then discovery. Prosecutors have to turn over all their evidence, good and bad, to the defense. Then we will get to a trial. If there's a conviction, we will get to sentencing. And then it's all got to go up on appeal. So we are at the very beginning very of beginning a long of a process. Very long process. Let's talk about potential charges here. Our John Miller broke the news last night. This indictment has 30 plus counts. What yeah. could they be? Yeah. So we know that there's over 30 counts. That doesn't necessarily correlate with seriousness. Right. But let's take a look at what it could be. If these charges are based on the hush money payments that Caitlin just laid out, we could be looking at a state charge for falsification of business records. The idea there is if they falsely log these payments as attorney's fees. That would be a misdemeanor, meaning the maximum penalty is one year. No one's realistically going to go to jail on a misdemeanor. However, if prosecutors can prove that those records were falsified in order to conceal or commit some other crime, some second crime, then we're talking about a class E felony. That's the lowest class. It goes A to E. The max there would be four years, but the judge still has discretion to give no prison time. Now, what might that other crime be? Could be a potential campaign finance crime. A little bit of a legal difficulty there, though, because yeah. it's state court, remember, but we're talking about a federal election. Can you talk, though, Ellie, about the fact that what the prosecution is going to have to argue here to try to, uh, to to try to succeed on these charges is they're going to try to put a f- have to tie a federal crime yeah. to a state charge, yeah. and that is uncharted. It has never been done in this way ever right. in the history of the state of New York. When you hear Trump's legal team say these charges are unprecedented, to an extent but they're that's not. that's true. I mean, well, falsification of business records charges happen But the happen combination, all the, time. the way yes, they're doing it. That's the unprecedented part. That Again, we are in state court here, and they're looking at potentially charging a violation of federal campaign law. That's going to go to the judge before it ever gets to a jury. Quickly, Trump's defense. Trump's defense is going to be, the main defense is going to be, he's going to attack Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen's the star yeah. witness. People can decide. The jury will decide if they believe him. Trump's team is going to point out that Michael Cohen has been convicted of perjury and fraud. Personal animosity. I mean, to say the least, Michael Cohen despises Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And they're going to argue that he's made inconsistent prior statements. But Michael Cohen, the prosecutors are going to argue he's backed up by other evidence. And you can believe him. Or other people, which Bragg's team may need. Okay, Okay. Ellie, thank you. So helpful. Don. All right, Ellie Poppy. New York City ramping up security this morning. They have been for a while, but uh, yesterday and even the weeks before, they're preparing for possible protests in the wake of the former president's unprecedented indictment, the NYPD coordinating with federal law enforcement and the Secret Service to be ready for whatever might happen. Seen as Bren Gengrass, live near the Manhattan courthouse for us this morning. Good morning, Bren. Police, other security agencies, what are they doing to prepare right now? Yeah, Dan, well, this is not what the courthouse typically looks like. But to your point, this has been what it's looked like for the past uh, almost two weeks now. Let's take a look at all the barricades that are all around this lower Manhattan courthouse. This is where actually the district attorney's office is. This is where he, the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, comes in day and night under heavy security. But you can see there is a large police presence out here. But again, this is something that we have been seeing for about the past two weeks. What we've learned is that the NYPD, 
is going to be in full uniform. That is every single member of the NYPD, whether it's rank or position, they will be in full uniform, a huge presence, uh, posturing, getting ready for what might come today in the next day's possibilities of any protest. I was talking to a source who said, you know, the chatter online had subsided, but certainly they fully expected it to possibly be ramping back up. So they are anticipating what could be any sort of demonstrations or protests, and they are prepared for that at the ready. And uh, essentially, basically, everyone is preparing, waiting again for that now indictment, or rather the arraignment to happen on Tuesday is what we're learning. And of course, all preparations for that as well. I'm learning also from a source that there are still discussions they have begun on how that arraignment is going to happen, where it will take place, and of course, all of law enforcement coordinating that as well. Don. This is the NYPD. So unrest at your own risk. Bren Gingras, thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right, joining us now on this historic indictment, CNN political analyst and New York Times senior political correspondent Maggie Haberman and former associate counsel to President George W. Bush, Jamil Jaffer, back at the table so soon. Um, But Maggie, let's start with this, because you've been doing reporting on what's happening in Trump world leading up to this. They were surprised by this, by the fact that it came down last night. And some people had even been telling Trump maybe it would never come down at all. Yeah, I mean, it's often hard to tell how much of this is them actually believing what they're saying and how much of this is projection and wish wish casting. But there's no question that people around Trump were completely caught off guard by this. They did believe, uh, you know, the the reports that the grand jury was done for a month and that they would not be coming back for several weeks. They thought they had time if this was going to happen at all. And they were all sort of exhaling. And then suddenly this happened. Trump, uh, my understanding is recalibrated pretty quickly. He clearly had been thinking about what he was going to say, and it's not that different than what he had been saying before. But this was not where they thought they were going to be today. There's no question about that. But but my question is, why? But really, though, do they really believe what the former president and really believe that if you live here in New York City, you saw the security, all the security that was ramping up, what the sources were saying, was this just wishful thinking on the Trump folks' part? I don't know what information they say that they were getting. They, they, they do clearly have some lines into, uh, I think, folks, some folks in the prosecutor's office and uh, people around the courthouse. So I think that they were getting bits and pieces of information. They were cobbling that together. And then I think in some cases they were projecting and yeah. suggesting that, therefore, this is not going to happen. But, you know, grand juries are unpredictable, number one, and they don't really understand Alvin Bragg. And I think that Alvin Bragg's office, whether intentionally or not, took all the reports that there was going to be a break and used that to almost dial down the heat and then move forward. Right on. One of the outstanding questions, Jamil, is, um, is this just about Michael Cohen's testimony and Stormy Daniels, or is this about a lot more? We know uh, that David Pecker, right, who ran the company that runs the National Enquirer, testified not once but twice. And we also know that Bragg's team of prosecutors asked many questions regarding Karen McDougal and the $150,000 catch and kill to, to silence her story. So... When you listen to Lanny Davis, Michael Cohen's attorney last night on CNN, saying it's not just about one person's testimony, where does that leave you? Well, Poppy, I think that's probably right. I mean, you know, we've, we've heard that there are 30 plus charges being brought. It's hard to imagine that many charges being brought just around the one Stormy Daniels issue. So I think it's likely there is more going on, whether it's Karen McDougal, other business dealings going on inside the Trump organization. Obviously, the Trump organization convicted of tax fraud uh, earlier, uh, you know, last year. And so we know there was stuff going on with the organization. Hasn't yet been tied to the former president, 
But we could very well see that going forward in this you case. You don't think 30-plus charges could be just about Stormy Daniels? Is that what you're saying? I mean, it's hard to imagine. I, mean, I suppose it's possible, but how many things can you bring, right? So you've got, obviously, the payment, right, the tax issues related to it, uh, the side payments to, uh, to Cohen. It's hard to imagine 30 different charges coming out of that. It's possible, Unless I suppose. Unless it's every one of those checks. That's right. You know. That's, so, that's, okay. that's actually true. It could be that. Jamil Jaffer, thank you very much. Hey, everyone, stick around. Don't go far. We have a lot ahead. We are hearing from a key witness in the case, Michael Cohen. Don talked to him, his first television interview after this indictment came down. What he thinks will happen next. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. So, of course, the star witness in all of this is the former attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, Trump's former attorney and fixer, the star witness in this hush money case against the former president, Donald Trump, speaking directly to CNN last night. I want you to listen to what he he called himself, the former fixer, told me and my colleague, Allison Camerata, about the case. Here it is. I want to talk about um, Robert Costello, because Donald Trump's team sent Robert Costello in directly to try to counteract what you were saying. What does this say about the importance or the significance of what they saw in his testimony? Yeah, it was a mistake. You know, Bob Costello provided clearly nothing. There was no um, testimony that he gave that I was even needed to rebut. That's all been reported. You know, they had me there waiting for about two hours to be a rebuttal witness, but I wasn't needed, which means that the information that he provided was worthless. You know who else is talking about this? Donald Trump. And he basically said in this email to his supporters, uh, Alvin Bragg is relying on the testimony of a convicted felon and a disbarred lawyer. So what is your response to Donald Trump tonight? Well, he's right. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents. Uh, There's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. And at the end of the day, we have an indictment today. So clearly, that means that the information provided was more than enough for the grand jury to come back with a determination for an indictment. Oh, by the way, for Donald, since we're talking about convicted felons, see you on Tuesday, pal. Hmm. They can coordinate court dates, but they don't coordinate indictments. And they have to go when they have to go where the evidence leads. And there are things like the statute of limitations or what have you. But technically, Fannie Willis in Georgia, if she does indict, could go first. They could coordinate and allow her to go to trial first, and this could go second. This notion of, oh, this is a weaker case than the January 6th. I acknowledge that. January 6th was an insurrection like we haven't seen in, what, 150 years in this country. But does it make this any less of a crime? You know, I always call this the Capone theory, the Al Capone theory. They couldn't get him on murder, extortion, racketeering, bootlegging, etc. They got him on tax evasion. If that crime, Don, was enough for me to be charged, fined, convicted, and sent to prison. Why am I any different than Donald Trump? Back with us now, senior political analyst and New York Times senior political correspondent Maggie Haberman and former associate counsel to President George W. Bush, Jamil Jaffer. Listen, this is the interesting thing my um, source is saying. The notion that this shouldn't be uh, birthed for political reasons doesn't align with the justice system. Uh, You have to go when you're ready. There are statutes of limitations and other factors that force them to move in a time that they have to move. And, Jamil, Bonnie Willis could actually go first if there are indictments in multiple jurisdictions, they can coordinate the court dates because defendants often face indictments in multiple jurisdictions. So 
Georgia could actually end up going first to that whole argument about why is this first? What is it? They're saying it doesn't really matter. And Michael Cohen is saying similar there in that interview. Right. I think that's right. Now, look, in this case, New York has a six-year statute of limitations when it comes to fraud, criminal fraud. And so there's a real possibility that the reason why this happened now is because they're out of time. But that was paused in 2020 by then-Governor Cuomo because of COVID. And it was also Trump lived out of state for four years, so they have, they have more time. I don't think he was rushed by the statute of limitations. Interesting. So if that's the case, then the question is why bring it now, right? Is it, is it, that does raise these questions about polit- politics, right? Georgia, of course, concerned about their about their litigation. You've got the New York State Attorney General. You've got a variety of things going on around the country. Of course, the federal investigations into January 6th, as well as the Mar-a-Lago documents. There's a lot going on. The challenge, though, politically, is the president's going to say, look at all this stuff going on. It's all these Democrats coming after me. I'm the victim, which is a story he's played out during his entire time in office and since he's been out. Well, it's also something that, you know, to be to be real about it. Alvin Bragg sort of gave him that when he was campaigning for this office. He, he spoke in stark terms about the potential of prosecuting Donald Trump. So you are going to hear yeah. a lot about that in the coming months. And, and it's not surprising that you would hear a lot. And about it's sealed. That. It's he did something it here we on don't the know set. what's in there. Yeah. But Alvin Bragg did that here on the set. He came yeah. and did an mm-hmm. interview with the two of you. And he said, essentially, like, stay tuned. Yeah. And basically right. did indicate that something could be coming here. Yeah. It's not surprising. I mean, it, it's less surprising that he did it once he was in office to some extent. It was it was surprising to a lot of people in New York who have a long history with that particular office where one man sat in that district attorney's office for decades, Robert Morgenthau, who, who P.S. Donald Trump considered a personal friend and told me in an interview in 2021 that Morgenthau would not have stood for this kind of thing, which I think is really important in terms of Trump's mindset. But Bragg, during his campaign in 2021, spoke openly about the possibility yeah. of prosecuting Donald Trump. And I think you'll hear more of that. Uh, to Don's point, we don't know what the charges are. We, we are not going to know for several days. So some of this is just waiting on it. Can I ask one other question about your reporting yesterday, which is that as this was coming out, there were people who worked in the Trump organization that were quietly cheering this, you said. And, and by quietly, I'm sure they were loudly on their end of the phone, but were texting me. And they were, there was there is a long trail of people who feel burned in one way or another by Donald Trump. We certainly saw that in the White House. This was a pattern that existed for decades before at the Trump organization. And the number of people I heard from yesterday who worked for his company, who were really happy. One person texted with the words, wonderful news. Really? Wow. And that really sort of tells you something about where these folks' heads are. I was fascinated last night as, you know, Caitlin was on the air. I'm listening to her. I'm reading your reporting in real time on The Times about what's happening behind the scenes at Mar-a-Lago right now. Well, like, like we've said, they were caught by surprise. Yeah. I think, I think uh, some of Trump's advisors learned it from me and my colleagues um, that, that this was this was happening. Uh, I think they recalibrated quickly. He's very angry. It should not really surprise anybody. I don't think that means that he's throwing staplers, but I think he's, you know, he's He's really angry. Everything that you were seeing in his statement about how this is, you know, a political persecution or a political prosecution, I I think is something that he genuinely believes. And I expect that it is going to be said with greater degrees of intensity. There's so much. I just want to stress we expect or it's likely that he's going to surrender on Tuesday. They're still working out how that's going to look. You know, this is not an ordinary defendant. He comes with a phalanx of Secret Service. Uh, this is going to require multi-agency protection. He's not just any other defendant in reality. And so because of that, what the lead-up will look like, I think, is really also... And absurd. they're so coordinating. Listen, you bring up a very good point, and Caitlin asked you about your reporting, the people who have been affected. And that's, you know, others, there are other cases, right, uh, in the documents mm-hmm. case, right, and, and, you know, just 
other cases. There are many out there, a number out there. But look at this. David Pecker, who is a witness. That's the Karen McDougal, the catch and kill. Dylan Howard, who worked for Pecker. Deborah um, Tarasoff, who is also testified, worked for Trump Org. Uh, Jeff McConney, the assistant comptroller, worked directly with Alan Weisselberg. Donald uh, Bender, the accountant there, who worked for Trump. Kellyanne Conway, of course, we know who worked closely with Trump. Hope Hicks, who worked closely with Trump, and then Michael Cohen. So many people have been affected, and Robert Costello as well, by this former president. Great reporting. Thank, Thank you. you, Maggie. Thank you. Thanks, Jamil. Maggie. Thanks, Jamil. All right. Sources tell CNN, as Maggie was just saying, uh, that Trump is expected to turn himself in on Tuesday. They're still working out the details. We're going to talk to one of his attorneys about this unprecedented indictment. Good morning and welcome back. We are being told this morning that Trump's defense team is likely to attack the credibility of a major witness in the Manhattan District Attorney's case, Michael Cohen. The former Trump lawyer was convicted of lying to Congress, among other financial crimes. He says he, or he pled guilty to that, we should note. He has, says he has proof this morning that he is telling the truth here. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents uh, There's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. And at the end of the day, we have an indictment today. So clearly, that means that the information provided was more than enough for the grand jury to come back with a determination for an indictment. Oh, by the way, for Donald, since we're talking about convicted felons, see you on Tuesday, pal. Joining us now is Jim Trusty. He is a current attorney for Trump in the Department of Justice probe into the 2020 election, as well as the investigation involving classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Good morning, Jim, and thank you for being here. You're not representing Trump in this Manhattan case, we should make clear, but you are on his legal team. Obviously, you spend a lot of time with him. Do you expect that he's actually going to surrender himself on Tuesday, as we've been talking about? Yeah, I don't have any inside info to share on that. I mean, we'll sort through it. We'll deal with the process. I think right now we're dealing with the enormity of the injustice and and the shock of seeing people like Michael Cohen touted as credible witnesses. Maybe he'll have Avenatti as a character witness. I don't know. But it's a really astounding, astounding bad moment in the history of this country. Why do you say that? Because we've got a completely politicized prosecution. You know, your last segment you had folks that actually talked openly about CNN appearances by Alvin Bragg running for camp for office saying, I will target Donald Trump. I mean, that is not something to gloss over lightly. That is an upside down world of criminal justice where we don't follow evidence. We don't act judiciously as prosecutors. And I was a prosecutor for 27 years. Okay, so I have some background on this. You've got people that announce politically they're going to target an individual. That is not the rule of law. That is not what this country was built upon. And so when you talk about Donald Trump being angry, he should be. Um, I'm amazed he's not, you know, more apoplectic, but he is right to be angry at political persecution, which is what this case is. Is he angry? Have you spoken to him since this indictment happened? No, I don't talk about that kind of stuff. Sorry, Caitlin. What's your sense of what happens? I'm angry. Between, How about that? What's your sense of what happens between now and Tuesday? Well, look, you know, I'll tell you, the the big picture is, you know, if you're representing him on the New York case, you've got a lot of stuff to be focusing on. But one of them is going to be pretrial motions. I know Ellie in the earlier segment talked about how that's a part of the process. You know, you don't usually win on a pretrial motion saying, 
hey, the government's got the worst witnesses imaginable, even if that happens to be true. You win on legal issues. And this case is all about, it looks like from the outside right now, mental gymnastics that don't add up. I mean, legal gymnastics, they're going to fall apart. So I would think in very short order, you'll see a motion to dismiss or several motions to dismiss talking about this kind of impossible theory of stacking a federal crime into a state misdemeanor, statute of limitations issues, and very importantly, the intent to defraud that's an element of these false record-keeping charges. That's just not present here under even the most dreamy of Michael Cohen moments. It's not part of the case. So there's a lot to look at. I think there'll be pretrial motions that'll be hugely important and well-founded to dismiss this travesty. Those motions to dismiss that you say you're expecting, will those come before the indictment is, is unsealed on Tuesday, or what is your expectation there? Yeah, I I don't know about the exact timing. I think the practical problem is, you know, we don't even have a case number. Keep in mind, with Donald Trump, there are no rules. So once again, we have sealed proceedings that have been leaked publicly that we're all talking about. I mean, it's just kind of an amazing breakdown of due process and fair play. So we don't even have a case number at this moment, but it'll be soon. I I think this will be something you can expect in days or weeks, not, not weeks or months. Okay, so you say there will likely be a motion to dismiss this. That's important. You are representing Trump in the January 6th investigation, in the classified documents investigation. There are several investigations now facing him, including with this indictment. How does the legal team manage all of these investigations at once? Well, we've got a good team. We've got a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds and experience. Um, You know, I will say the one common thread that I'm seeing is somebody who was associated with DOJ for 17 years and watching what's happening unfolding in New York is prosecutorial overreach. You know, there's an ends justify the means mentality that is unlike anything I've ever seen in prosecutorial circles. You've got people like Letitia James, now Alvin Bragg, announcing we will get him. You've got an attorney general of the United States doing press conferences after a search warrant, which is completely unprecedented uh, unprecedented and unethical. And so what we do is, you know, we kind of shadow the investigations, figure out the actual facts and find ways to litigate, often uh, under seal, some of the issues that are just rolling through these uh, over these heavy handed investigations you, into the president. You but noted all he's the- got plenty of resources to bear to fight back. You noted all the attorneys who are on the team. How Sorry, many How many exactly are there? How many attorneys are there representing Trump at this time? Oh, I don't I don't have an exact number for you. Sorry. When the for when you talk about Alvin Bragg and Trump has continued to attack him, he faced criticism over the weekend after there was a link that he posted on Truth Social that a photo of Trump holding a baseball bat next to a picture of Alvin Bragg. Is it inappropriate for the for your client to post things like that, attacking the district attorney, calling him an animal, calling him a racist? Well, as I understand it, the meme that got retweeted didn't actually have the image until it showed up on True Social. So he didn't actually know that there was this uh, baseball bat image thing. Look, it's it's unfortunate that that happened. And there's a lot of room for an emotional reaction from anybody. Any client I have would be angry at this point. But the general concern that President Trump has, and I think it's a very genuine one, is that this is not even just about him. Yes, he's being targeted for political persecution, but this is an attack on the fabric of our system, on the the whole presumption of innocence, due process, prosecutorial ethics. I mean, all of this is in play under that category of rule of law. And I'm as frustrated as anyone to see this kind of change in a system that heretofore had been the best in the world. 
you're representing Trump on the, the classified documents matter. Did he still know that there were documents still, classified documents still at Mar-a-Lago after a subpoena came to return those documents? Yeah, I'm not going to get into the facts of, of any investigation that's pending. What I can tell you is... You can't say whether or not he knew the if there were still States, documents there? Caitlin, do you really expect that we're going to have that kind of conversation? I, I think you know better. But the reality is the president has every right. We, we entrust presidents under the Constitution to know state secrets, to be familiar with these things, to even hold on to documents and determine which ones they're going to hold on to and which ones they're going to give to the archivist. So criminalizing that process was absurd. That's nothing that's ever happened in history. You've got thousands of classified documents sitting in Chicago for the Obama Foundation, no similar treatment. And, and that's really what President Trump is fighting about, and that's what we're fighting about, is the idea that somehow this whole criminal justice system can be turned on its head because of him. You know, one person gets differential treatment across the board, whether it's criminalizing a civil dispute about documents, whether it's ignoring peaceful words on January 6th, or threading together this ridiculous misdemeanor uh, through the worst credible, the least credible witnesses you can imagine in New York. It's only him. He's the only one that gets that treatment, and we're going to fight back hard. Well, I think it's a fair question to ask, given the Justice Department wanted those documents back, and we've seen the fight that played out. But Jim Trustee, representing President Trump right now, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for your time to talk about these investigations facing Trump. Sure. Thanks, Caitlin. Caitlin, it's good to hear from the Trump side there and to re and remind the viewers there is more than just one case as it relates to Donald Trump that is pending and that is going on. So also this is just in the DOJ announcing a lawsuit against Norfolk Southern following the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. We also have new CNN reporting on how some CDC investigators got sick near the crash site. Well, new this morning, CNN has learned that seven CDC investigators who were studying the health impacts of the East Palestine, Ohio, toxic train derailment got sick themselves. This happened in early March. They were doing those house-to-house -house surveys in the contaminated area where hazardous chemicals were released into the air, the water, and the soil. Also, it was just announced moments ago, the Department of Justice has filed a lawsuit against Norfolk Southern. Our Jason Carroll is on top of both of these. We'll get to DOJ in a minute, but yep. these seven investigators, that comes as huge concern to the people who live there. It, very much. And it confirms what a lot of people there on the ground were already feeling. I mean, in this latest information only came to light uh, just after a member of CNN's health team saw posts on social media and checked with a government source about what exactly had happened. According huh. to the CDC, seven government investigators fell ill in early March. They were part of a 15-member team that was sent there to conduct what is called an assessment of chemical exposure or an ACE investigation. They went door-to-door -door in an area near the derailment. Apparently, seven members of the team said they started feeling sick. Their symptoms included sore throats, Headaches, coughing, nausea. Uh, these are some of the same symptoms that both residents, first responders, and rail workers had also complained about. When CNN asked the CDC about the investigators, a spokesperson said the following, quote, the symptoms resolved for most team members later the same afternoon, and everyone 
resumed work on survey data collection within 24 hours. Impacted team members have not reported ongoing health effects. It's unclear what caused their symptoms. The eight other team members did not report any symptoms. The EPA has repeatedly said, as you guys know, that all of the air and the water there is safe. But what is unclear at this point is in the spirit of transparency. And, you know, in the very beginning of this, government officials said over and over, we want to be transparent about what we're finding, what we're doing here. So in the spirit of transparency, the question is, why wasn't this information revealed when it happened? Why did people who live there have to look on the website and then ask about it? Before you go, though, what is this DOJ lawsuit against the train company about? Well, this is another lawsuit. As you know, the state of Ohio also filed a lawsuit there as well. The suit says basically says that Norfolk Southern violated numerous, quote, state, federal and Ohio common laws and violated the state's comprehensive environmental response and compensation and liability act. So what does that mean? Basically, what they're alleging here is that Norfolk Southern cut costs um, in, in terms of rail safety in order to make profits. And as a result, We've got what we're seeing here. And this is a federal brought by DOJ. Federal brought by DOJ on behalf of the EPA. Yeah. Wow. Jason, thank you very much. Thank you, Jason. Michael Cohen telling CNN that the Trump indictment is just the beginning, just ahead. We're going to talk to Cohen's lawyer, Lanny Davis, who was with him for every visit to the Manhattan District Attorney. More CNN this morning to come after the break. Former President Trump calling on Republicans on Capitol Hill to back him after his historic indictment came down yesterday. A source telling CNN that Trump is calling some of his allies, telling them about his plans to fight the charges. Joining us now is a Republican on Capitol Hill, Congressman Brian Mast of Florida, who served as the co-chair of Trump's 2020 re-election campaign in the state. Good morning, Congressman, and thank you for joining us from Florida this morning. What's your reaction to this indictment making Trump the first president to ever face criminal charges? I react to this not just as a representative, but as a constituent, as a supporter of the president and a a lot of emotions going through me about this. You know, I look at this and I feel like it's not a system of justice is blind. You do have a, a D.A. This has been brought up before that said, hey. I know the president better than anybody. I know his businesses, implying that he was the guy to go after the president. And not felt this way from the very beginning, that the left has had a wanted poster up for the president that's basically said, you know, wanted dead or alive. And I continue to feel that way right up to this very moment. Alvin Bragg has pushed back on letters coming from Republican chairman on Capitol Hill saying that they're just following the law and the facts here. I mean, if they do, we haven't even seen the indictment yet. So if we do see the indictment, once it's unsealed and there are these these charges. And what if there's evidence here to back up what they're alleging that Trump has done? Well, so I don't think they're following the law. I think you're taking an individual that, again, has been perfectly willing and bragged about the fact that he's willing to put Trump beneath the law, not say that justice is blind, but be willing to go out there and say, hey, we're looking for an individual that was a former president, about six foot four, blonde hair, lives in Palm Beach, Florida. Anything that we can do to get that guy, that's what we'll do. That's the situation that's playing out. Do you trust that this will play out fairly in the courts, though? I mean, if this does go to trial, there Absolutely will be. Absolutely a- not. 
Even if there's a jury, you don't trust that. I have that. zero trust. I, I personally, I'm speaking for myself right now. I have zero trust that this will play out fairly. I look at all of the instances that, again, I know people have brought this up before, but you look at the Russia hoax, you look at the Mueller uh, investigation, you look at impeachment one, impeachment two, the rating of Mar-a-Lago, the list goes on and on of them trying to say, oh, the shoe's about to drop, the shoe's about to drop. They're constantly dragging the president through the mud. The shoe doesn't drop, but they still drag him through the mud. It's interesting to see to hear you say you don't think you don't trust that it'll play out because if, if it does go to trial, there will be a jury there. You don't trust that the jury will, will make a fair assessment of this? I, I don't have a, a trust that a jury will make a fair assessment of this personally. Again, looking at what's happened with the president from the very beginning. So, no, I don't have that trust. I want to ask you about something your governor said, Brian DeSantis, yesterday, saying that if there is a situation where Trump does not surrender himself on Tuesday, that he will not grant an extradition request to take Trump from Florida to New York. Do you agree with that statement from Governor DeSantis? I would say well done, Governor DeSantis. Um, This is a battleground issue for so many individuals, uh, and especially people in Florida, which is the president's home, saying you're not going to continue this witch hunt, this target of an individual, just because you don't like the way that they fought for freedom from the very beginning. That's how I feel about this situation. And so I'm proud of the the governor for saying that's not something they're going to participate in. But Congressman, you know this. I mean, Governor DeSantis knows this. He went to Harvard Law School. It's in the Constitution that if you are charged, that must happen. So I think the governor's dealing with an important battleground issue for the state of Florida and for one of his constituents here in the state of Florida. That, again, justice is not treating President Trump blindly. They're treating President Trump as somebody, I'll say it again, wanted dead or alive. And the governor's not going to play into that. Okay, I'll just note that it is in the Constitution. The political aspect of this is something that people have been talking about, how this impacts the 2024 race. Do you think this indictment benefits Trump politically? I couldn't say, honestly. I I don't know whether this is a game by the Democrats to say they want to codify his base around him, which they are doing because they want to see him as the candidate, and they think that that's a benefit against Joe Biden, or because they don't want him as the candidate against Joe Biden. I actually don't know which one the left is playing out right now, um, but they are absolutely codifying the president's base. There's no doubt about that. Well, we'll wait to see how it plays out politically. Congressman Brian Mast, thank you for your time this morning. All the best. Fascinating interview that he doesn't even believe, should this go all the way to trial and a trial by jury of your but you drove your peers that it would be a fair reckoning. Well, let's play, the, let's play this out because, um, listen, I think the, you know, the congressman said that um, he thinks that is a, a political witch hunt by the Democrats or that there are Democrats who are out there to get the former president. OK, let's just allow him. I'm not saying that is true, but it, it's not binary. There can be Democrats and people who are out there to get the president, but can, there can also be legitimacy to this investigation as well. It's not one or the other. It can be both. And we don't even know what's in the indictment. Let's, yeah, right? let's wait. Step let's by wait step. See. Okay, we have a lot ahead. CNN This Morning continues right now.
morning, everyone, and here we are on a historic day here in the United States. Very big news, big news this morning. The former President Trump indicted. That's right. Sources tell CNN Trump is expected to turn himself in just days from now as he is facing more than 30 counts related to business fraud. The key witness in this case, Trump's former fixer, Michael Cohen. His lawyer will join us live in just a few minutes. We're also going to have expert analysis on just how historic this indictment really is the political fallout that's unfolding, how it could potentially benefit Trump. I'll tell you what's happening right now. Moments ago here in New York City, Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan district attorney, arrived at his office just hours after former President Donald Trump was indicted. We've learned this morning that Trump had been asked by Bragg's office to turn himself in today to face those criminal charges here in New York. But his defense lawyers say that Trump and the Secret Service needed more time to coordinate his surrender after yesterday's historic indictment. Sources tell CNN the former president is facing more than 30 counts. They're related to business fraud. And he is expected to turn himself in on Tuesday. The Manhattan District Attorney's case is centered around those hush money payments surrounding Stormy Daniels. Caitlin's reporting that a number of members of Trump's camp were caught off guard by that indictment yesterday because they thought perhaps the DA's case might be falling apart. So Leila Santiago starts us off this hour in Mar-a-Lago, near Mar-a-Lago. First, though, let's go right downtown, Bryn Gingras, outside the courthouse in Manhattan. Bryn, good morning to you. We just saw Alvin Bragg arrive there. And the NYPD has yeah. really been preparing for this. Yeah, listen, they have been preparing this for a couple weeks now, of course, because we also thought this was going to happen, uh, you know, last week. So their preparations have been in place, certainly ramped up. Let me show you around a little bit. As you guys just mentioned, uh, the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, he is now in the building where he works. That is his car right there. We are now seeing an increase in security, even more than what I saw just about 45 minutes ago when I last saw you guys. Of course, though, there is a lot happening behind the scenes that we do not see. Of course, the intelligence officials are monitoring online chat rooms, social media, keeping an eye on how things progress in terms of chatter in case any sort of protests or demonstrations are planning to come to New York and start to break out. That is partly why the entire NYPD force, every single person, no matter the rank or position, is going to be in uniform today. So there can be quick mobilization should any protests break out today into the weekend. And of course, now all eyes on Tuesday when that arraignment is expected. Learning from a source that still the planning, the conversations have begun uh, in terms of that arraignment, how that will take place, where that will take place. And those conversations are ongoing. Of course, we'll be continuing to check in with our sources to find out how those conversations continue, guys. All developing very quickly. Bryn, thank you for that reporting. Alayla Santiago, live in West Palm Beach, Florida. Layla, good morning to you. What, what do we know about where the former president is now? And have we heard from him? Well, we understand he's right here, right behind me at Mar-a-Lago, as you see. And, and listen, a lot of eyes are there right now to, to see if there's any sort of movement, any sort of insight as to what the former president's next move could be on this. I got to tell you this morning, we haven't really seen anything out of the norm from the outside. But here's what we've learned about what happened on the inside last night. CNN learning uh, that President Trump was here prepping um, political attacks against Governor Ron DeSantis uh, when his team 
team learned of this indictment, something that they were bracing for, but were caught off guard by the timing of this. We also understand through our CNN uh, reporting that uh, he was uh, still moving forward with dinner with guests, had dinner with Melania last night, also here at Mar-a-Lago. And I want to read to you the statement that he put out yesterday after this indictment, and I'll quote him. It says, this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. The Democrats have lied, cheated, and stolen in their obsession with trying to get Trump, but now they've done the unthinkable, indicting a completely innocent person in an act of blatant election interference. Now, listen, a lot is still unknown right now, but again, keeping a close eye here to see if there's any movement uh, and, and any indication of how this could uh, move forward on uh, Tuesday, preparation for Tuesday, when we believe he will be arraigned. I have spoken to lo local law enforcement to see if they have been requested for anything at this point. I have been told that is not the case, but this is something that Secret Service would handle. So we will continue to monitor not only Mar-a-Lago, but also the Trump plane, which still remains right. at the local airport here. Very good point, Leila Santiago. Thank you for that reporting right near Mar-a-Lago. So we know Michael Cohen played a central role in the Hush Money episode. He is deeply involved in the investigation. He met with the Manhattan District Attorney more than 20 times, and he spoke to my CNN colleague, Allison Camerata, and me just last night. Listen in. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents. Uh, there's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. And at the end of the day, we have an indictment today. Yeah. So clearly... That means that the information provided was more than enough for the grand jury to come back with a determination for an indictment. Oh, by the way, for Donald, since we're talking about convicted felons, see you on Tuesday, pal. Hmm. It was a wide-ranging interview of about 20 minutes or so last night here on CNN, his first on-camera interview uh, after the indictment was handed down. There you see Lenny Davis, Michael Cohen's lawyer. He joins me now. Lenny, good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, guys. Thank so I need you. you to respond now to Trump's attorney, Joe Tacopino, speaking out this morning. This is what he said about your client. Watch. We don't know what the, 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 the actual charges are, um, but we do know it centers around, uh, you know, a legal, very common confidentiality agreement that was signed years and years ago um, with uh, Stormy Daniels and between her attorneys and, and, and Michael Cohen, uh, those were the parties to the uh, confidentiality agreement. Um, so it's nothing more than that, which is really what makes this shocking. Lanny, what's your response? Well, first of all, let's all remember from Vice President Pence last night, not telling the truth uh, on CNN to Mr. Tacopina, who I've worked with. Nobody knows the facts in this case. So let's start with three questions I hope you'll be asking your guests, including the politician from Florida. Fact one is the Southern District of New York federal prosecutors conducted a thorough investigation involving an extensive search of Michael Cohen's office and apartment. They found, as a matter of fact, that Donald Trump directed the word they used, Michael Cohen, to pay the hush money. And they found the seriousness of this crime to be so serious that it endangers our democracy because it thwarts the American people from knowing information such as a possible affair with Stormy information with Stormy Daniels. So that's okay. fact one about the Southern District of New York's findings. Two and three quickly, please, Lanny. We don't to remember. I want to make sure time. we get it all in. So what's what are you said? Okay. There are three things you hope I would two quickly. Well, the second three. the second one is the fact of whether Donald Trump is to be believed versus Michael Cohen and all the documents and all the witnesses whether he had any political motivation to make that uh, direction, 
according to federal prosecutors, to Michael Cohen to pay the hush money? That's the question before the jury. Mr. Tacopino isn't addressing that question. He's going to have a hard time convincing a jury that Donald Trump had no political motivation waiting just before the election to direct Michael to pay the hush money. Okay, that's one of my questions. And number three is what? Number three is credibility of Michael Cohen and whether that matters a lot. Of course it matters. He testified in public uh, under oath uh, before Elijah Cummings and tens of millions of people. He did not take the Fifth Amendment, as did Mr. Trump, before the grand jury. And as you said, 20 interviews corroborated by documents. And that's the main thing I wanted to stress this morning. I've been in the room with Michael all 20 times. This group of prosecutors in New York are depending upon emails, text messages, telephone calls, other witnesses. There is so much corroboration here that everyone's speaking with rhetoric about politicization and weaponization and all these adjectives. I'm talking facts. This is a very factual case corroborated by a lot of information. Everyone is going to be surprised how extensive the documents and the corroboration are in this case. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. I want you to drill down on that because you can, you're in the position as an attorney to say more than Michael Cohen can say as a a witness or a potential witness in an, an, an upcoming trial. So let's dig in on that. Does a district attorney have documents for trial that go beyond what is publicly known. It sounds like that's what you're saying. Are there more financial dealings that we don't know about, Lanny? A lot more. Uh, You do know about something that I don't hear your reporters mentioning, which is the president of the United States, as a sitting president, writing $35,000 a month checks and mislabeling them as legal fees, which he knew was a lie. So the federal prosecutors said, no, they weren't legal fees. They were reimbursements for the direction to pay hush money. That's a fact that you know. But what you don't know is the extent of corroboration of everything to prove political motivation. And that's what the case is about. Mike Pence said last night it's about lying to Congress. He didn't finish the sentence. And I would appreciate everybody on CNN finishing the sentence. He lied to Congress at the direction of Donald Trump. He paid the hush money at the direction of Donald Trump. That's not me speaking. That's the federal prosecutors in a document filed publicly. So the amount of corroboration and detail uh, are more than anybody knows. And Mr. Tacopino using rhetoric isn't going to get around the fact that he's faced with corroboration, witnesses, documents, telephone calls, emails, all of it corroborating that Mr. Trump was politically motivated and the Southern District said this is a serious crime. Mike Pence said last night it's just a campaign finance uh, violation. No, it's not. What the Southern District prosecutors said publicly is it's such a serious crime that impairs our democracy because the American people were prevented from knowing information by somebody paying hush money. Okay, And in this case, Michael Cohn went to jail, but now we have to look at Donald Trump. Lanny, you got to let me get in here. Okay. Again, I'm going to ask you the question again, because you said there's a lot. I want to know what. Does a district attorney have documents for trial that go beyond what is publicly known? And are there more financial dealings that we don't know about? You You said a lot. Like what? Like documents memorializing the decision to pay the hush money, like telephone calls, like emails, like other witnesses involved in the payment of the hush money, like another crime called Karen McDougal, which Michael Cohen was forced to plead guilty to as a politically motivated payment to keep her quiet. So there's two crimes that Michael pled guilty to that Donald Trump, with another witness, 
will be corroborating this. So that's what you don't know. Is it substantial volume of these documents, of witnesses, of emails, text messages that corroborate the crime of politically motivated hush money? Okay. Then my colleague John Miller is coming up shortly here. He has been reporting since yesterday that it's 34 criminal counts. Okay. Do you know anything about what the charges will be, Lanny? I don't know uh, what in the number 34. I know that Donald Trump committed financial fraud by not booking and writing checks as a sitting president. I'm just imagining if another sitting president had written checks on his personal checking account while in the Oval Office. That's a fact to Michael Cohen and called them legal fees, knowing that they were reimbursements. His own lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, contradicted Trump and said, no, they're not legal fees. The federal district said, no, they're not legal fees. So those are where the fraudulent activities occurred by Mr. Trump. And it's not in dispute. That's what's amazing to me, that Mr. Tacopina has to face Mr. Giuliani contradicting his own client that, no, these weren't legal fees. The federal district uh, prosecutors, no, they're not legal fees. That's where I suspect okay. a lot of the fraudulent counts okay. will come from. All right, Lanny, listen, I have to go, but I, I want to ask you, you're an attorney. You're sitting there. You have been in with clients right. before. You were there for every, you said, interview that he did with Alvin Bragg's office, correct? Yes. The DA here. So judging yes. by the questions, and every time you went back, I'm sure the questions, they, they went from 30,000 feet to three feet or however you want to um, classify it, however you, you want to put it here. So considering what the questions were, and what you were observing, where do you think the charges will go here? What do you think it is? I think the charges uh, in the granular detail that this group of professionals that we spend so much time with asking Michael about different documents and all of the corroborating evidence, I think where this goes to is a jury with a single question. Do you believe Donald Trump's denial that just before the election, directing Michael to pay this $130,000 from his own funds, do you believe that Donald Trump was politically motivated? That is the only question between a crime and a non-crime. And it's about American democracy, as the Southern District said. So that, to me, is a way of simplifying it all down. And please finish the sentence. Yes, Michael Cohn lied at the direction of Donald Trump. Please, all of you, finish that sentence. Lenny Davis. Thank you very much. Thank I appreciate you. you joining us this morning. Thank you. That's Thank you. Significant news out of that interview with, with Lanny Davis. Uh, we'll continue on that. The news of Trump's indictment sending shockwaves across Washington. How are Democrats on the Hill reacting? Congressman Dan Goldman, who is the lead counsel in Trump's first impeachment trial, now a member of Congress, he joins us. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Good morning and welcome back to CNN this morning. We have been discussing a lot when it comes to the historic indictment of former President Trump that happened yesterday. Joining us now with their perspective on this is former federal prosecutor of the Southern District of New York and Cardozo Law School professor Jessica Roth and our CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst John Miller, both here with us this morning. Thank you so much uh, for being here. Gloria Borger is also here. I should note she is joining us remotely from Washington, D.C. Hi, Gloria. You're not here with us, but still here. Gloria, I actually want to start with you, Gloria, because you know Lanny Davis and Michael Cohen very well. You are incredibly well sourced. What do you make of what Lanny Davis just said? Well, I think Lanny Davis, as Michael Cohen's attorney, wanted to get out there and say to the American public, uh, don't forget 
that Michael Cohen is someone who went to jail over some of these issues. And by the way, he was directed to pay the hush money to Stormy Daniels uh, by Donald J. Trump, as he put it. And I think that's the message he wants to sort of get over and over and over again. And I think, you know, Michael Cohen being out there himself, your attorneys can can tell you whether that's wise or not wise, but he's trying to restore his credibility with the American people and say, okay, I'm not just a guy who went to jail. I'm not just the fixer. I know exactly what happened. And I paid the price and Donald Trump should then pay the price as well. What neither of them can answer or did answer, I think, is the question of whether what started as a paperwork issue has apparently evolved into a criminal felony. Again, we don't know what's in the indictment, but we, we, we don't we have to understand the arc of of the paperwork to criminal felony, which we at this point don't know. Jessica, I was watching you watching Don's interview with Lanny Davis, and there was a moment where you were nodding when Don kept pressing him to answer the question of, well, are there more documents we don't know about? Are there more payments we might not know about? Why were you nodding? What's well, the significance? Well, because I want to know that, too. Yeah. I mean, Do you we, think he answered it? Uh, he seemed to indicate that there were documents. I'm very curious to know what those are, since reportedly Donald Trump doesn't use text. He doesn't use email. And so unless that's not true and we actually have text and email and documents with Donald Trump, perhaps these are communications with other people that reflect communications with Trump or that also show how the records were used at the Trump organization. Go on. Why? You said you want to know that, too. Why? Because I want to know what corroboration there is for Michael right. Cohen. Um, that's key. I mean, we know that there is David Pecker, who will give corroboration, I imagine, uh, for why these payments were made uh, to Stormy Daniels and to Karen McDougal, because David Pecker was part of conversations about them being part of campaign expenditures uh, to help Donald Trump in his campaign. Uh, so David Pecker is going to be critical. People from the Trump campaign, like Kellyanne Conway and Hope Hicks, will also be critical if they were involved in communications about those payments and can testify that they were to further Donald Trump's campaign interests. But I also want to know who from the Trump organization has uh, testimony and documents that will reflect how those payments were reflected in the business records of the Trump organization mm. and for what purposes those records were used. Mm. John? <laughs> so a lot of things happening today. Um, there will be a meeting today with the New York State court officers, the NYPD, the Secret Service, to go through the mechanics of Tuesday. Uh, there will also be a walkthrough where they actually go through the route of how they're going to bring the former president into the building, up to where he will be booked, and then the critical route, which is between there and the courthouse where he's going to be arraigned. And that walkthrough will examine... Do you freeze public hallways to bring him through without access to the press and the public? Do you take him through um, some kind of controlled gauntlet with barriers? Do you bring him in a back way that is used to transport prisoners to the holding blocks and into the courtroom? So they're going to walk through all of those versions and figure out which is the most practical and which is the most low risk. And at the same time, um, they are still having everybody show up in uniform today. Uh, they'll decide today whether that goes through the weekend while they're scanning social media for news of demonstrations. That's how the modern demonstration is born, right. is sure. it's born on social media and it sure. grows there. And so far, what they're not seeing is 
anything major that's unfolding there. But that'll be something that they're doing right up to the moment. That is New York City. We, yeah. You know, New Yorkers, we like to think we're the center of the universe. This is when it comes to this particular thing. But what about the rest of the country, John? Well, so the rest of the country is doing the same thing. There's a group called the Major Cities Chiefs, which is the 70 some odd major cities in the U.S. And their intelligence commanders are all linked in a network and they trade information back and forth. What are you seeing there? What are you seeing here? But what we learned from, you know, the time uh, a couple of weeks ago when Donald Trump was saying publicly, I'm going to be indicted on on Monday, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday. Well, he was right. Just the two weeks <laughs> later, two days later. You know, uh, the model they were seeing is, you know, he controlled the narrative by saying, I'm going to have a rally in Texas. You know, this is going to be my gathering. It's not going to be something where I'm calling on people, you know, to show up at the courthouse. Um, so what they're looking for is, will it be similar? Will it be a, an event that he controls at a venue that he controls, maybe not outside the courthouse? And then there's the other question is, does he address the press at the courthouse? There you go. Does he address the press? Does he address the press somewhere in New York later? Um, in a controlled environment or back down in, in Palm Beach. Yeah, those plans are still being finalized, we're told. But John, Jessica, thank you both. Gloria as well, thank you all for, for joining Thanks. us. Gloria, come back and see us more we often. Miss we you. miss you. I Too would, far away. Uh, I know. Maybe I'll come back to New York and <laughs> okay. sit around the table. Well, we'd love to. I we'd will again. Bye, Thanks, Gloria. guys. Bye, everyone. Thank all you. Right, thank you all very much. We're going to talk about how Democrats in Congress are reacting to the Trump indictment. With us in studio, Congressman Dan Goldman, next. Welcome back. A source tells CNN Donald Trump was rallying support among his allies on Capitol Hill yesterday, vowing to fight these historic charges against him. And a number of congressional Republicans responded, blasting the indictment and defending the former president. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy called the indictment a, quote, unprecedented abuse of power. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan called it outrageous. White House, while House, I should say, Majority Leader Steve Scalise accused Democrats of, quote, weaponizing the government to attack their political opponents. Well, let's talk to a Democratic congressman about it, Daniel Goldman. Uh, see what he thinks. He's a former federal prosecutor, very apropos right now. Also was a lead counsel, Democratic counsel, in Trump's first impeachment trial. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very, very much. Um, so let me just actually start out, uh, Caitlin, to this great interview with uh, one of Trump's attorneys, not in this case, but representing him in the documents probe and others, um, Jim Trusty. Here's what he said in terms of how the Trump team will likely respond in the next few days. Here he was. Legal gymnastics, they're going to fall apart. So I would think in very short order, you'll see a motion to dismiss or several motions to dismiss talking about this kind of impossible theory of stacking a federal crime into a state misdemeanor, statute of limitations issues, and very importantly, the intent to defraud that's an element of these false record-keeping charges. That's just not present here. Motion to dismiss coming soon. Your response. Well, my response is nobody knows what the indictment says. Nobody knows what he's being charged with. Nobody knows what the evidence is. Nobody knows what the legal theory is. There's a tremendous amount of speculation because there have been a few leaks and people just are taking those as true. And I can tell you, as a former prosecutor, I used to always say, 
about 50% of the information in leaks is accurate. You just don't know which 50% that is. But if reports are true that this is more than 30 counts in the indictment, Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be more than just the Stormy Daniels hush money payment. And so, you know, I see my colleagues on the the Republican side bashing the district attorney as partisan Mm -hmm. and uh, that this is attack on justice. They don't know what the evidence is. So how can they actually say that? legitimately and on and with any foundation when they don't know what the charges are. So let's get back to what it appears the charges um, from John Miller's reporting are about business records and falsification. But let's talk about in a moment the sort of unprecedented nature of putting a federal charge on top of a state charge. But you just talked about some of the Republican pushback on this has been to say Alvin Bragg is politicizing this, et cetera. Are you comfortable with the statements that he made about prosecuting Trump, et cetera? Uh, He said he boasted while he was running in 2021 for this position. It's a fact that I've sued Trump more than 100 times. Are you comfortable with those statements? Yes, because he's talking about retrospectively. He didn't ever say that he was going to do anything. But he said it while he was campaigning. Yeah. And but let's look at what he has done in in office. And this is what people forget. He rejected the recommendation of very senior and experienced prosecutors to indict Donald Trump. Like Mark Pomerantz. Yes. To indict Donald Trump a year ago. Mm. And at the time, all many Republican supporters of Donald Trump said, oh, what a virtuous and and uh, valuable rule of law follower he is that he didn't indict. Now that he's indicting on a different case, all of a sudden he's a partisan hack. You can't have it both ways. It's not a completely different case. It's sort of half of the case that Pomerantz was talking about. Fair enough. We don't know. But by the way, the the Pomerantz case was a valuations case about his properties, about insurance fraud. That was part of it. That was that was that was a big part of it. But let me ask you about because you yourself, uh, Congressman, have said that this case, that hush money payments and the accounting of them is not is not the most dangerous case the former president faces. If this is what our reporting indicates and if this would put federal charges on on top of a state charges here in a state crime, it is uncharted legal territory. How high as a prosecutor, with your knowledge, how difficult is that to get a conviction on? Well, let's be clear the 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 notion of a false uh, business records offense Uh, becoming a felony is very common. The question here is whether you can use the concealment of a federal crime uh, in order to make it a felony. Um, But I'm confident that that will play out in the court. And if Donald Trump is right and Mm -hmm. his lawyers are right, and this is an untested and unfounded legal theory, then they'll win a motion to dismiss. But what's really important, Poppy, is this has to play out in a court of law. It should not play out in the political sphere, and it certainly should not play out in the halls of Congress, because Congress has no jurisdiction to intervene and interfere in a local prosecution. And that's what the Republicans are trying to do. When you talk about weaponizing the government, they are trying to interfere in an ongoing prosecution in support of their leader and not with any By basis By sending that letter to Bragg, et cetera, trying to yeah. speak to him about it now. You're an attorney, as well as a congressman. If you were Trump's attorney in this case this morning, how would you be advising him? What would you be doing? Well, <laughs> as I said long ago, Donald Trump is perhaps the most difficult client any lawyer has ever had. 
What I would recommend he do is shut up. But that's not what he's ever going to do. And he views all of this as political. And he views his defense as a political defense made to the public. But the problem is, this is not even like impeachment when I led the impeachment, because it's not a political system. It is a legal process. And when you get in the confines of a court, all these rules are different. And you can't be making these political statements. The judge will not allow it. Quickly, if indeed Michael Cohen is the star witness, he appeared before this grand jury so many times. How concerned would you be then if you were in Bra- on Bragg's team prosecuting this about his credibility issues? The fact that, you know, he has nine different counts of lying, include, uh, of, of, uh, including tax evasion, including one kind of lying to Congress. Right. So there's no question Michael Cohen brings a lot of baggage and he is a difficult witness. And I'm sure from the Manhattan DA's perspective, they would very much like Michael Cohen to also shut up. But what they will have evaluated in great depth Mm -hmm. is what corroborating evidence there is for Michael Cohen's testimony. What is David Pecker from AMI saying that is consistent with what Michael Cohen is saying? What do the documents say? What do the records say? What are the recording? There's a recording of Michael Cohen and Donald Trump. Let's not forget that. We played it earlier. And so that's very, very powerful evidence. And so the evaluation you make is, of course, he brings all this baggage. But what can you say to the jury? And one thing that's very powerful to the jury is to say, I pled guilty to campaign finance fraud and I did it at the direction of Donald Trump. So they can throw as much mud as they want at Michael Cohen. But as we used to say as a prosecutor, it bounces back from Cohen right on to Donald Trump, who who directed him to do that crime. Congressman Dan Goldman, thank you. It's good to have you in person. Appreciate it. Galen. On a perspective this morning, also Russia now crossing a line. It has not crossed since 1986. They've been arrested an American journalist on charges of espionage. President Biden actually just weighed in a moment ago. And we spoke exclusively to Trevor Reed, who obviously has experience with this. He was released from a Russian prison less than a year ago. We'll show you what he said next. Moments ago, President Biden was just asked about the arrest of an American reporter for The Wall Street Journal who has been detained in Moscow, now accused of espionage. Biden's answer, quote, let him go. He was also asked if the U.S. would expel Russian diplomats over the matter. He said that is not the plan right now. To bring you up to speed, Evan Gershkovich was accused of trying to steal state secrets about a Russian military factory. You can see him here. These are accusations, obviously, we should take with a grain of salt, considering where they are coming from. In a statement, the journal said it vehemently denies the allegation and is seeking the immediate release of our trusted and dedicated reporter. Few people know what Evan Gerskovich is going through right now, but one of them is a Marine veteran, Trevor Reed. He was released last April in a prisoner swap after he was detained in Russia for 985 days. I spoke to Trevor about the arrest of Evan Gerskovich and what he's going through. You have an experience that, that so few people have because... To a degree, you know what he's going through. Can you just remind us, what were your first few hours in detention? Like, what do you imagine that he's going through right now? The first few hours uh, when you're wrongfully detained are extremely confusing. Uh, You're in a state of shock. Um, You're also in a state of denial. You're thinking that there's no possible way that this is happening to me. Uh, Maybe it's just a nightmare. Maybe I'm going to wake up and this didn't happen. 
And unfortunately for me, that that kind of, you know, just surreal feeling lasted for for basically the whole almost three years that I was detained. Yeah. And when he was when Evan was formally arrested, his own attorney wasn't even allowed in the courtroom. You obviously dealt up close and personally with the Russian judicial system, as I guess we'll call it. How do you fear that he's going to be treated by them? Uh, there's there's no there's no question that uh, the Russian judicial system is a joke. It's a facade. Uh, they violate all of their own rules, regulations, laws there, and there's no type of accountability for Russian officials who who break those laws. They can basically do anything that they want, um, and unfortunately, they will do whatever they want. Some members of Congress have said they think he, they basically have just outright called this a hostage situation. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's... Uh, the wrongful detention is equivalent to to taking a hostage. They've clearly done this for political purposes to gain some kind of leverage over the United States or make a, make an example out of them to make a point. Maybe it's like a revenge thing. Do you worry that that treatment, the way that they treated you, has only gotten worse the way that they're treating Americans now? Absolutely. I think that... Uh, as Russia becomes more desperate due to sanctions, uh, their war in Ukraine failing, uh, you know, political pressure from the United States, I think that the more desperate they get, the more brutal and kind of apathetic they're going to, to be regarding, uh, you know, our citizens there. What does it say to you about the state of U.S.-Russia relations at this point? Taking a journalist, that kind of puts it into perspective for you how desperate the Russians have become. I think, you know, the next step after taking our journalists hostage there is, is basically diplomats is, is the next level. And it, it says something about uh, how far they're willing to go. What do you think President Biden should do in this moment? What do you want to see from the U.S. government here? I want to see some definite action. Um, you know, they're going to have to to make some type of agreement to get him out. I don't know if that's going to involve a prisoner exchange, but I think that it's our government's duty to do whatever it takes to get innocent Americans out. And also on that note, I want to thank you because it's actually a year um, since you asked President Biden if he would meet with my parents at the White House. Can we meet with Trevor Reed's parents, Mr. President, while they're here in Washington? I'm going to see if I can get to see them. They're Today? good. They're good people. I haven't. We're trying to work that out. My mom will get real angry with me if I don't don't mention that and say thank you from all of us. Well, your parents are amazing, and that was what any reporter should do and anything to help. Uh, it was good to see him. It's a very good interview, and it's good to say. I said a little bit earlier. He's in good mental health right now. It appears perspective like no one else. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Mike Pence sitting down with CNN for an exclusive interview not long after news broke of the indictment against his former boss. I think the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States on a campaign finance issue is an outrage. 
Up next, we will talk to Pence's former chief of staff about the historic Trump indictment. There he is live on the other side of the break. Do you expect this to go to trial? Do you see any scenario in which you or the former president would take a plea deal? Zero. Zero. First of all, I'm not taking a plea deal to anything, but, but uh, you know, President Trump will not take a plea deal in this case. It's not going to happen. There's no crime. That was Joe Tacopina, one of the president, former president's attorneys, saying that there is no way his client will take a plea deal after his indictment. What does Trump's former VP and possible presidential candidate Mike Pence think about it? Here's what he told our Wolf Blitzer just last night. No one is above the law, including former presidents. Let me be clear on that point. And, and uh, the American people know this. But in this case, and, and a controversy over campaign finance, I can't speak to the merits of this case at all, but I, I can speak to the, the issue emanating out of a question over campaign finance should never have risen to the level to bring an, an unprecedented and historic prosecution so against a former president. So let's discuss now with Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short. Mark, good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this Don, morning. Don, thanks for having me. Is it, a, is it a contradiction to, on one hand, say that nobody, even the former president, is above the law, but then, on the other hand, say that there shouldn't be an indictment for Trump? Because the details are unknown now, Mark. Yeah, that, that's fair, Don. I, I, I think there's a paradox there, but I think you're asking for the prosecutor to have some discretion. If the reality is the prosecutor has uh, campaigned on a pledge to voters that he's going to prosecute Donald Trump regardless of the facts, and if the federal government has passed on the prosecution— and the district attorney who preceded him passed on prosecuting, but he has made a campaign promise he's going to do this. I think it does leave a lot of question in voters' minds is whether or not this is a political trial, any political persecution. So your point's well taken. I think that no one is above the law, but I do think as well there has to be some level of prosecutorial yeah. uh, discretion here. But in fact, didn't Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, exercise that prosecutorial discretion a year ago when he decided not to pursue these charges at that time, something that infuriated some of his own prosecutors. Some of them even quit, like Mark Pomerantz at the time. Yeah, Poppy, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the details of this particular uh, case. But I also think that if you step back <laughs> politically, I think that for President Trump, you know, it enables him to sort of cast a shadow on other perhaps more serious uh, liabilities that, that he faces, whether or not from the Department of Justice or potentially in Georgia. And so it enables him to cast a shadow on potentially things that are, that are more serious allegations. Why? What do you him. What do you mean? I mean, multiple because, multiple because charges I, can be brought at similar times by different offices. Sure, sure, they can, Poppy. But I think at the same time, from a political perspective, if if your supporters believe that all of these are now politically charged and all are politically based, I think it does just naturally have a have a um, impact <laughs> on voters to say, look. All of this is politically motivated when I think the reality is that, I, as I said, I think that there's more serious liabilities related around the, the document case, the January 6th cases. Mark, can I ask you a question about something Pence was pressed on by Wolf Blitzer in that great interview last yeah. night? He was asked if he's going to appeal this decision that we got from a judge saying that Pence must go and testify, basically shutting down the executive order argument that Trump's legal team was trying to make a more nuanced version of the argument that Pence's legal team was trying to make. He's meeting with his attorneys today. What's the what's the decision on that going to be? Well, Caitlin, I think it's important to note that the vice president did not 
uh, allege any executive privilege mm -hmm. over his testimony. He was fighting on a constitutional principle on speech or debate. And this was a landmark decision that the judge passed down this week for the first time acknowledging the vice president of the United States is protected by mm -hmm. that clause in the Constitution. It was just a ruling that we received this week. He's meeting with his attorneys today. I don't think this will be long before he makes a final decision on that. Will we get that today? And will you publicly say what the decision is on it? I think he'll make his decision public. I can't promise you it'll okay. be today, but it's not going to be long. You're putting a lot here on the political uh, calculus um, versus the, the legal, right? So to, to Caitlin's question, do you think that Mike Pence... I should say Vice President Mike Pence, testifying against Donald Trump in January 6th investigation, that if you do the calculations here, that it could actually help him as a candidate, because I'm sure you'll agree, uh, Mark, and correct me if I'm wrong, most of the country is not on the side of an insurrection of, of January 6th. Most people are politically moderate in a way that they believe that what happened on January 6th was terrible, that Mike Pence was a big focus uh, of that and could have lost his life. Don't you think that that could possibly help him if he actually said, you know what, I am going to testify. I want you to hear everything. You know, Don, I don't think that the political implications are going to be part of his consideration. They weren't on January 6th. Many people would have argued the easiest thing for him to do politically uh, would have been to violate his oath to the Constitution. But he stood on his principle. He stood on what his oath was. He's going to do the same here, and he's going to follow the rule of law. And if, he's, if a judge requires that he testify, then, then he will testify. As he said multiple times, there's nothing to hide. He's written about it publicly. He's spoken about it publicly. He's spoken about his disagreement. He's spoken about how tragic the day of January 6th was. And so uh, I don't think there's that much new that, it, that a jury will find. But I do think it was a principle he wanted to stand on on speech or debate. Yeah. Mark, we love having you. Seriously, it's Thanks, good to, and it's good to see you again. We remember when you were part of the family. I don't know if you fondly remember that, but we did <laughs> like having you as part of the Thanks, family. Mark. Thank Thanks for having me back on this morning. You be well. Thank you so much. Thanks. And Appreciate thank you for joining us, everyone, this morning. Sinan, this morning, we hope you have a, a, a great weekend. Sinan's coverage of former President Donald Trump's indictment continues right after this break. That's it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.